From the territories to Titan Towers to TNA and all points in between, he's seen and done it all. And now he's here to share the real story behind wrestling's biggest moments, controversies, and characters. The MLW Radio Network presents Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Man, I'm fired up about this. This is the latest we've ever waited to tape a podcast ever. Uh, <laughs> we have been busier than one arm paper hangers, but we're here, and we're going to knock out all things sunny. But first, we need to take care of some business from last week. Do you have any hanging leftover little points about TNA that we didn't discuss? I don't think I do. I, I don't, I don't want to say those three letters together again for a long, long time. I missed one, and I'm going to come back to it next week because I don't remember what it was. But I did get a request for, oh, I remember now. Tell me about Joker Sting. You got anything about Joker Sting? Joker Sting was just another incarnation of Sting. That's all it was. Uh, give me something else. Not going to do it. Nothing else to share? Nope. Uh, what about aces and eights? Lots of complaints. We didn't talk about them enough. You got anything on aces and eights? No, I think we shared enough. Oh, come on. Give me something. Nope. Okay. So there you go. I was asked to ask you about Joker Sting and aces and eights. I guess we kind of covered it all. We got six hours of fucking TNA, man. There you go. It's in there somewhere. I'm sure. All right. Let's get one more little piece of business about TNA out of the way. We were jerks last week and we said we weren't jerks. Okay, I was a jerk. Okay. I was a jerk, and I wanted to give away a Dixie Carter action figure. It blew me away that in the middle of this shitstorm, her company's falling apart all around her, and she's giving away or promoting her action figure on Twitter. Uh, to my surprise, last night on the TNA Impact show that God aired, damn. they're running a special about how you should give TNA merchandise as a Christmas present, which is timely advertising. Wouldn't you agree? I, I would agree with that. What's smack dab in the middle of that promo? A free download of the Dixie Carter theme. It's not a rib. No. That's real life. But this was a rib. Last week we We're decided. We're talking about sad women. This week. <laughs> the topic this week is sad women. Yeah. It's unfair to compare Dixie to Sonny in that regard. All right, Bruce, let's get into it, man. This is going to be a pretty hot topic, pretty controversial name here. Sonny, what happened when Sonny went to the WWF? And uh, I did some research using, of course, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, but mostly her book this time. And uh, I feel like we should give everybody kind of a quick shout out for her book. Uh, I know she is not able to plug the book right now, but she does have one available. And uh, I did a lot of research using that. It's on Amazon. It's called A Star Shattered, The Rise and Fall uh, of Wrestling's Diva. Uh, And it's by Tammy Sitch. And it is available uh, on your Kindle for only nine ninety nine on amazon.com. So if you need a resource companion for this, there you go. Uh, have you read the book, Bruce? I have not. I oh. lived it. You lived it. <laughs> I lived a lot of it. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Uh, December 4th, 1994, you call her home and she thinks the call is for Chris who she lives with Mr. Chris Candido. But it's actually for her, and you're asking for an audition. Do you remember this call? I do remember. Uh, 
she was working down for Jim Cornette at old Smoking Mountain Wrestling. Oh my gosh! And uh, my brother Tom was also working in the area, and I'd seen uh, Tammy. She she worked as um, Tammy Fitch. That's right. Down there, uh, beautiful young lady. Good God! And showed the tape. Cornette had sung her praises. And showed the tape to Vince, and we thought about bringing her in and doing something with her. Actually thought about using her as a broadcaster. Yeah, so she writes in her book uh, that she actually comes to Titan on uh, December 7th, which is her 21st birthday. And you guys do the old limo and Marriott treatment. Uh, And she didn't think she did very well in the audition. Uh, She actually writes that she bombs. Uh, and she blamed her inexperience uh, with a teleprompter for some of that. But she says she still got a call a week or so later that she got the gig. She didn't think she did well, but you guys still hired her. Was it just her innate charisma, the recommendation of Jim Cornette, or she's just damn good looking? Well, you know, without a doubt, you can't deny her charisma. Right. And she had a presence, and she wasn't hard to look at at all. So it's a combination of all of those things because she, 21 years old, she's speaking to our audience. Right. And when you've got a big audience of teenage adolescent males, right, they are going to sit there and they're going to listen to her because they're, they're just, they may not listen to what she says, but they're going to watch her watch. for a while. There you go. So in the meantime, between uh, when she gets the call that she got the gig and the audition, uh, she actually broke her arm working in Smoky Mountain where she just took a bump the wrong way. Uh, So when you call her to give her the good news that she's hired, you advise her to buy some business suits and bring the receipt. Was that commonplace at the time? Sure. Yeah. Um, So the process is pretty simple. You just go get whatever you think is going to look good and bring the receipt. And who would that go through? The re, what the receipt? Yeah, like when she gets there, she probably at receipt? that point she'd probably either bring it to me or Kevin Dunn or something, and you guys just get her a check from accounting and you're done. Sure, okay, easy yeah. enough. Um, so she says right here in the phone call to you that uh, hey, she broke her arm and she's wearing a big ugly cast, and you say I ah, will try to work around it, um, or at least that's what it's television kid. I ain't make anything work. Uh, so she becomes uh, Tamara Murphy. And she credits this as um, Vince wanting to use her real first name, but an Irish-sounding last name. Does that make sense to you? (laughs) (laughs) God damn. You know, we'll have have this conversation when we talk about Michael Hayes, too. You know where the name Murphy came from? No. There's an old television show, Murphy Brown. Yeah. And she was a newswoman. Yeah. So we took Tammy's first name and then we took Murphy from Murphy Brown. So she's going to host live event news. Uh, and this taping will be happening every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. She writes the WWF was going to pay her $500 per day for this. And she was still eligible to do Smoky Mountain wrestling house shows every weekend. So she's very active and busy here. Um, she says that Vince personally coached her up during some of the filming. Uh, specifically, he didn't like the way she says garden, uh, when she was talking about Madison square garden, is it common for Vince to be this hands-on with a talent as far as just producing the television and would he zero in on a word like that or a pronunciation? 
Without a doubt, especially a new young talent that he feels has potential. He will he will work with them uh, ad nauseum, and if there's something that he feels like we talked about before, you know, the King's English, pal, and if they weren't pronouncing something to his satisfaction, yes, he would work with them. We sent Tony Schiavone to uh, Enunciation School to help him lose his Southern drawl in the way that Enunciation Tony they, School. Yes. Wow, that's not. That's not something you just find in the yellow pages, I don't think. In Stamford, Connecticut, I think you do. Really? Yeah. Okay. No, I, I have no idea, but I know that he did it. He did go and work on his speech and, and work on uh, reducing his southern drawl. I see you've done that, too. Reducing my southern drawl? Yeah. Oh, I don't think. You're doing a hell of a job. Too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Piss off. Um, so in the observer, it's written around this time that Candido and Fitch were being considered, uh, to recreate a blonde bomber style tag team with Candido and another wrestler managed by Fitch, almost a modern day incarnation of Ray Stevens and the Pat Patterson gimmick. Do you recall that being any sort of consideration or was the thought always, no, we just want her. No, the, well, actually, let me rephrase that. We wanted her, right? And there was interest in Chris. Okay. And there was no interest in the beginning of the two of them as a package. And that became apparent they wanted to do something like that. They wanted to be a package. And so for Meltzer to write that, it would have been stuff he got from their side more so than your side who the hell knows where he got oh my his gosh. bullshit God, or, or he does what he does with everything else and just not, sat there and make it up what but you know probably sat there and said well i hear they're gonna okay, do this okay, so he okay, sits okay, there and okay, makes okay. up a narrative in his own mind All but right. uh but they were they were coming in we were, there was interest in tammy and we wanted to do something with tammy as a broadcaster and be able to utilize her because she was young. She was fresh. She was different. And with Chris, wanted to bring Chris in as a character and, and use him in some way as well. When they all got together is what often happens, kind of like Mark Merrow and Sable. The two of them are there together. They are a couple in real life. And it the just idea happens. just happens. Yeah. So there was speculation that Tammy was going to come in as an announcer because the WWF was advertising in the broadcast trade journals for new talent. Was that common back then that you guys would run, you know, now hiring type ads in those type of trade journals for broadcasters? Oh, all the time. Uh, they want, they wound up bringing in, am I saying this right? Stephanie Wyand, Stephanie Wyand. Yes. Uh, and from what I understand, she was a former Los Angeles radio DJ. Uh, she was actually hired from those ads. Uh, and then she began hosting WWF Mania, and she replaced Charlie. Charlie Min. Yeah, former sportscaster from Columbus, Ohio. I don't know when we'll talk about Stephanie Wyand. <laughs> Never again. And, and Charlie Min again. Can you kind of share some insider stories on either one of those names? Wow, everybody thought we were crazy. But we we did. We advertised in the trades. We had rounds of auditions. Charlie Min was a, uh, I believe he was Chinese American, but he had an over the top delivery. He was very entertaining and he, he killed us in the audition and Vince fell in love with him 
and we both we how Vince and I would do a lot of times is we would write down our thoughts and then we would switch right we'd share you know after the fact and both of us like charlie men i think we were the only two that liked charlie men he was he was just different but he was really exciting and he talked like this and he, and it was just he was different right he was so different for our product and everybody else that was the traditional you know mean gene type and announcer type and in your face he was young and different uh, Stephanie Wyan was a young female that had a lot of energy, but she was lost. She just was lost once she got there. She she didn't grasp it. She tried really hard, but it wasn't in her. Charlie was a fan. Stephanie really wasn't a fan, and, and she was just doing a job and trying to play a role. So Meltzer starts uh, speculating in the Observer that she's going to start, she being Tammy Sitch, is going to start as an obnoxious announcer and then segue into being a heel manager later. Of course, that's everybody's natural inclination based on her work at Smoky Mountain. Uh, By the end of the year, everybody's thinking that Candido is just going to finish up in Smoky Mountain and then sign with the WWF. And it's worth mentioning, uh, he was the NWA champion at the time. Now, obviously, this is... You know, when the NWA is not quite where the NWA was a decade before. Uh, but he's still doing indies and doing pretty well there. Um, she does share in her book uh, details about when she's first brought into the office to discuss their characters with her and Skip. Because this Tamara Murphy live event news thing is short-lived. Can we agree? Yeah, it was. She just wasn't. Tammy is a natural heel. She yeah. has a natural charisma. But she's a natural heel, too. She's a smart ass. And she came across as a bitch. Right. She didn't intend to. Yeah. Uh, Jim Cornette has famously uh, said, or, or he described her, and she described herself as a, quote, out front cunt. Yeah. Uh, just can't help it. Just uh, a little rude, a little, I mean, it is what it is. It's just her natural disposition. Exactly. And you can't, you can't mask that. Right. So it was one of those situations where try and try as we may, her natural uh, dislikability was going to come out. Uh, so soon thereafter, you guys decide to kind of let's look at maybe putting them together. And uh, she suggests they were supposed to be baby faces, which I find amazing, considering that you think it was just obvious from the start that she was supposed to be a heel or destined to be a heel. Uh, she describes the gimmick as being a cross between cheerleaders and superheroes, and the gimmick was supposed to be called Team Spirit. And you can actually find this in your Google machine. Uh, she had a cheerleading skirt, a cape, a tank top, and gloves to her elbows, and Chris had a singlet and a cape. Uh, they debut at a TV taping in North Carolina, uh, and this happens only about 90 miles from where they finished up with Smoky Mountain. Do you remember the angle they used to get them out of Smoky Mountain? I have no idea. They killed a cat on Christmas. Bastards. That's real. Bastards. Wrestling in 1994, man. Um, so anyway, of course they're booed to death because they're 90 miles from where they killed the cat. Uh, so a lot of these folks are watching Smoky Mountain television and are familiar with this. So, uh, afterwards Vince suggests, Hey, you know what? Maybe you're better as heels. Uh, and he suggested that they kind of pivot, uh, to become fitness gurus full of hype and energy. Kind of like, uh, Tony little was on the old infomercials 
and the name Body Donna was a combination of Body and Prima Donna. Uh, in her book, she credits Vince with that name and their individual names, Skip and Sonny. Uh, she says she had a hand in changing the costumes to be more of a sports bra-like tank top and bike shorts, and eventually she would transition to a more revealing sports bra and tennis skirt. Uh, after they do this, you know, kind of pivot here, they take four weeks worth of promos to introduce the characters to the audience. And, uh, Vince was very hands-on in filming these as well. And even acted out both parts, instructing her to be bitchy and conceited, uh, but wanted Skip to be more overzealous and punctuated. Do you remember filming these vignettes with these particular two? Oh yeah. We did them in the studio and it was exactly that it was tony little with an assistant with the bitchy little assistant and skip was going to be over the top this just you know health guru nut with the beautiful young assistant let let the assistant be kind of like the distraction and the eye candy and it's worth mentioning that at the time when this is happening so this would be early 95 uh these fitness guru infomercials are fucking huge they're they're everywhere every every television station in america if they didn't have uh family strokes or something you you had tony little on or you had tybo's about to be big yes you got the tony little thing you got six minute abs you've got the ab roller thing you've got the thing that you would lean up i mean just all kinds of infomercials in america based on this type of character exactly and they were annoying as hell in on the whether it be the fitness gurus or it be Skip and Sonny. Absolutely annoying. Uh, so you you had a lot of confidence in this character as getting over as being a heel. Yes. Uh, so the concept, of course, being you know they're going to insult the audience, tell them they're fat and they're out of shape, and blah blah blah. Right. And the the other thing about it was in utilizing Chris Candido was he was a smaller guy. Right. But he was a hell of a worker. He was, yeah. he was a hell of a hand. And we felt that there was a comparison to a Ray Stevens and a Pat Patterson. So that that's probably where Meltzer surmises and comes up with his ideas that we had, you know. Um, which well, in fairness, some of that probably comes from Cornette. Probably does. I don't yeah. know. But it, it wasn't accurate. And uh it was just simply, you know, looking at Chris, feeling that Chris could fill that role of an aggravating little heel I love and a working say, heel. I, you know, I, I don't want to go down this Meltzer thing again this early in the show, especially. But I love you say, especially since it wasn't accurate. He fucking wrote it was going to be him and another blonde guy managed by Tammy. And he did this in December, months before Tom is there. So but that was, my point is that was never the idea. Well, he's a goddamn prophet. It well, maybe he's a guy. You know, well, no, he guesses. And 50% of the time, oh he's right. There we go. Okay. But he guesses. It's based on guessing and bullshit. It, it's, none of it is based in fact. Uh, so early on, I'm sorry. He was there for all those fucking meetings when we discussed their goddamn ideas and Barry finally didn't lose at SummerSlam, which is a big deal. He's, uh, always been enhancement talent and he finally doesn't lose, uh, at SummerSlam in 95. And she takes credit for Barry getting his very first t-shirt, uh, in her book. She kind of pats herself on the back, Barry Horwood style for getting Barry his first t-shirt. Uh, whose idea was it to get Barry um, out of this lovable loser spot for once. Pat Patterson. 
That's a great idea. Oh, it was a great idea. Worked like a charm. And what would happen if the, the horror wins and he he beats the Skippy and it wants to and oh my God, nobody believe it. I love that I make the French Canadian Pat Patterson sound, sound like, like an Luigi, old Italian. Luigi yeah. <laughs> making some pizza. pizza. Hey. Oh well. Uh, they move into an angle where Louis Spicoli was portraying the character Rad Radford, and he wanted to join the Body Donnas, but of course isn't in the shape to do so. Uh, Louis, not necessarily known for his physique, but a hell of a hand. And here we go. Let's get it in early. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. So tell me about Louis Piccoli. Louis Piccoli was a, a young guy from California, and we had used Louis Piccoli as an enhancement talent back in the days when we used to have guys come in and work with the stars as enhancement talent to put them over on our weekly TV shows. And Spicoli was one of those guys who was always around. Um, really nice kid and had this idea and pitched me the idea of Rad Radford and a grunge rocker. And we gave it a shot, brought him in, man. He was just, you know, young guy. Let's, let's try this out. So two young guys and give them a story and see where it goes. Louis Piccoli, uh, ultimately passed away when he was working for WCW. He had uh, brief stints with all three companies and I believe he was discovered on the AAA when worlds collide pay-per-view. I could be making that up. That's just from memory discovered by who WWF. No. Okay. Just as an enhancement guy, we used, we'd used Louie as an enhancement guy for years. Okay. Uh, so out in California and I always liked Louie. Why did he end? What, what, what I mean? Not the death. I mean, why did his run with you end? He got out of shape really bad, and he had a pro- and he had a problem. Um, Somas. Yeah. Uh, so he has a brief stint with ECW, and then has a stint with uh, WCW, and then ultimately passes away in his sleep. I think he choked to death on his own vomit. Yeah, it's sad. Sad because he was a really, really good young man. And for a long time, Tommy Dreamer actually uh, called his finisher um, the Spicoli driver, mm-hmm. uh, in tribute to him. One of the more well-liked guys in the locker room. Would you agree with that? Oh, without a doubt. It's a shame that we never got to see what he was really capable of doing in the business. One and, of the more tragic tales. And people seen. forget how young he was. He was really, really young. Yeah. When he started, I think he started when he was like 17, 18 years old. Uh, if you're not familiar with Louis Spicoli, throw it in your Google machine, watch some of his old stuff. You'll be, uh, you'll be happy you did. And he based his original name off of, uh, yeah. you know, Jeff Spicoli and Fast Times at Ridgemont High for you kids. Were you even born when Fast Times at Ridgemont yeah. High was out? I'm 35, dude. Come on. Uh, then one day during a match, uh, Skip was being dominated, and all of a sudden, a guy with the same haircut and a similar build in identical gear replaces him and wins the match. Zip is born, and uh, this character is portrayed by Dr. Tom Pritchard. And Sonny in her book writes that you begged to be the one to tell the Tom, to tell Dr. Tom about his new position and most of all, his new haircut. That I begged? You wanted to be the one to give Tom this great news that not only do you have a gig now on TV with the WWF, but also. Well, no, Tom, Tom had been coming in at the time and Tom had really long Oh yeah. Brown curly oh, hair. Yeah. Tom Tom loved his hair. And he was known for it. He was known for it. It was a trademark him. deal for him. He loved his hair. 
And and is it your idea to cut that shit off? Well, it was simply an idea looking oh, at, hang uh, on. Oh, Jesus Christ. See, you know, this is a kind of bullshit. Whoa, 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 whoa. When yeah, I you just this, rolled your eyes. Oh, my, well, here we go. you defending it. I know you in real life, motherfucker. You loved <laughs> getting the call, Tom, and say, "No, I great didn't. news, buddy." Well, no, I did. Ah, something just fell on me. It was brother love. Brother love just fell from the heavens upon my head. But uh, the whole idea was simply looking at it was two things: looking at a way to do something more with the body donnas, right. with Skip and Sonny. And having a position, you know, for a new tag team and doing something with them, Tom didn't have anything at the time. And it was like, okay, no, it either, either he, you know, goes on and does something else or, you know what? We've got a spot. Tom and Chris were friends in real life. It's from Smoky Mountain. From Smoky Mountain. And right. Tom, Tom always sought the world of Chris. Loved Chris like a brother. Probably loves him more than me. But, um, there was, Hey guys, are you looking for the perfect father's day gift idea? I was, and I found it at paint your life with paint your life. You'll get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You see paint your life, transform your photos into a one of a kind hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload photos of anything you can imagine. You choose the artists and the art medium. They've even got great frames. It all takes less than five minutes to get started and you can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Just text the word wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. That's wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. Text wrestle to eight, seven, two, zero, four. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. There was a connection there. There was a friendship there. And Chris looked at Tom like a mentor. Right. So with all of this, there were, there were other issues going on with the relationship with Tammy and Chris and so on and so forth. And Chris confiding in Tom, the, the team behind the scenes was already there. Right. So the way to make them a team is when you look at them, same body type, same uh -huh. size, uh -huh. same kind of look. And you can't have Chris all of a sudden grow long, curly brown hair. But you can give Tom a brand new life and a brand new character by having him cut his hair, bleach it blonde to look like Skip. You realize I'm not Tom. You don't have to sell me on it. I like the well, idea. Well, no, I'm, I'm, but my point is everybody's, you're, you're, I'm, I'm waiting for the three words. Was that a rib? No, it was not a rib. And it was a way 
to get him. It's four words. words. You're right. I was counting. All right. If um, it's not a rib, let's run through this. She writes in her book that the haircut goes down in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It does. And you bring a video camera. Well, that was for my own personal enjoyment, though. Fuck you. you that was here for my time. own per. No, hang you on. You said this was not a rib. It was not a rib. You are grinning ear to ear right now about telling your <laughs> brother he's going to have to cut his hair off and no. you're going to film the haircut. No, and abs- no, I filmed the hair- haircut strictly for my own pleasure. Yeah, to show at family gatherings. No, no one's ever seen it. Do you still have the tape? Somewhere. We've got to find a way to put that online. I've got to find it. It may be, it, you know what? It may be up in the uh, boxes of tapes that are up there in That's, the WWF warehouse. Well, I'll get them for you. Um, but the the thing was, is is pitching this to him and looking at it, and he's he's thinking the same thing. Oh, this is a fucking rib. And you're, I, I go back it to. It is a rib. It is not a rib. You bring the fucking camera. No, shooting the haircut i just wanted that for posterity i wanted that to have you did it to fuck with it no okay i'm sorry here's okay i'm gonna fuck with you i'm gonna give you a job and we're gonna make a character out of you but that's not a rib i'm not arguing any of that filming the haircut is a rib that was for Look at posterity. You. That's a rib. Okay, let's it was move not on. a rib. Let's move along. But uh, but again, people all think it was, and people think, "Oh my God, why would you do that to Tom?" It was to be able to give him a job and give him a position in a major company. I'm not arguing anything. And make a character out of him and give him new life. Filming the haircut was a rib. Uh, WrestleMania. Wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. You know it would. After WrestleMania 12, uh, with the body done. Oh, I'm sorry, side story. So Tom comes back. Uh, with the hair, with the haircut and it bleached and I'll never forget it. And comes walking in and Bret Hart is there and, uh, Tom walks up and goes, Hey, how you doing? And shakes his hand and, and Brett who knows Tom and Tom had been there for a while with the long hair introduces himself. Hey, how you doing Bret Hart did not recognize Tom. So at that point I knew, okay, good. This is great. Cause people aren't going to pick it up right away. And it, it's a new character and it was good. I like it. Thank you for the story. Uh, hey, you're welcome. After, what I do. After WrestleMania 12 with the Body Donnas winning the tag titles from the Godwins, uh, the WWF decides to push Sonny individually a little more. So they send her to Florida with Rich Frieda for a bikini photo shoot and later a music video. Uh, she did some magazine covers at the time and even a Monday Night Raw t-shirt uh, where they put uh, a pool cue between her breasts and uh, she's kind of uh, chalking the cue at the top and it says i like it raw uh, it was one of those old school photograph of a person on a t-shirt terrible t-shirts they did at the time uh eventually they even do it's old uh, I, I have no doubt eventually they did a uh, vhs release uh for sunny as well and it blew up uh, interesting to note here she makes mention in her book that nobody gave her a script for the voiceover of that video can you imagine a scenario in 2016 where they have a DVD release and there's not a script for the talent? I'm sure there was a guideline. There were probably bullet points and shit they gave her. But, yeah, I no, I couldn't. To answer your question, I couldn't imagine them without having every single word, pause, phrase, everything laid out for them now. Yeah, even a, a breath and a sigh would exactly. probably be there now. Uh, she's really blowing up. Uh, in 96 and she makes extra entertainment tonight access uh, inside edition even singled out on mtv do you remember how the singled out appearance 
comes about? Does that ring a bell to you? God, she was the hottest thing in the business in a lot of respects at the time. And she was the most downloaded celebrity on AOL. Okay, now let's talk about that. I was hoping you would bring that up. Because when this first is reported, when you guys first start kind of championing that, Meltzer claims bullshit and says that. Of course he does, because he's got all that data. Okay. He was there. I'm just saying, uh, he makes mention of it. Uh, and says that it's all just hype. Uh, let me get it right. The stories about Sonny being the most downloaded celebrity and Warrior having the number one comic book in the world are all hype. I saw a list of the top ten downloaded celebrities, and Sonny wasn't even on the list. Uh, Pamela Anderson Lee and Jenny McCarthy types dominate. The Warrior book is an even bigger work, and the most major comic book stores aren't even carrying it, and it isn't even produced by a major distributor. So based on the fact that you guys were probably claiming both, doesn't it lend itself to Meltzer kind of thinking, okay, this is probably bullshit since he knows the warrior thing's a total work. Dave Meltzer knows everything, apparently. Yeah, give me anything else. Our numbers came from AOL. Yeah, she mentions that uh, she was even a presenter uh, for AOL when they had an award. Our numbers came from AOL that she was, and, and Pam Anderson had been number one. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Sonny's shit blows up. And it's worth mentioning here that when we're saying most downloaded celebrity, they're talking about one particular image. There one you particular go. image was downloaded more than a million times, which is not a super huge shit. It amount. was at the time. Yeah, a million people are going to listen to this episode. But, right. But back then. Because was, we're the tag team champions of podcasts. Well, it's not a lie. We can't deny it. No. Um. So... You guys were rightfully so kind of strapping the rocket ship to Sonny here. It happened. I mean, without really too much, there wasn't a whole lot of planning looking at this thing going, okay, we're going to make Tammy this uh, super hot desire, you know, everyone's desire type thing. It just happened. And we, we jumped on it. Let me just, um, Two things I want to ask you about here. I want to come back to the pool cue, but she mentions in her book, and I had. <laughs> you've been doing this uh, ever since you've been doing research on this. Folks, I'll be sitting there, and Conrad is is writing his own book on Sonny, preparing oh for this thing, and all of a sudden he'll just start laughing and will tickle <laughs> the hell out of himself. And I'm like, what? He goes, oh, no, 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 I'm just going to do my Sonny stuff. It's going to be good. So go ahead. I'm sorry. You're laughing again. Uh, she writes in her book, she was, <laughs> she writes in her book, she was often referred to as the quote, female Hulk Hogan due to my overwhelming popularity. You ever hear somebody say some stupid shit like that before? I, yeah, I never, no, I never heard that one, but full disclosure, uh, Sonny was my teenage crush, man. I was, uh, I know. In 1996, I turned 15 and woo, roll tide. I was all about me some Sonny. Uh, shout out to Mr. Ziegler listening right now and Mr. Damien Darling listening right now. Um, this uh, pool cue that you mentioned a minute ago, or that I made mention a minute ago, they did a couple of vignettes in Raw in 96 of her in a bubble bath and of her at a pool table. And eventually, they her that, on a piano. All of that becomes uh, part of a photo shoot for the first Raw magazine. Uh, and they sold t-shirts off of it. So this was the first time they started to go a little more risque, so to speak. 
And you have a, you shared something with me recently that I did not realize where was all that stuff shot. That was shot in the home of Vincent Kennedy McMahon and, uh, Linda McMahon, their home, the home of the McMahons, or as we affectionately known it, there were a few of us that called it Casa de McMahon. Um, that fascinates me. The Conradison that was Casa de McMahon to me. Well, that, that fascinates me that this whole time, because I think a lot of people who are my age are familiar with that photo shoot mm-hmm. and those vignettes, and you just assume that's some location. You don't think that's Vince's house. Vince's house is a location oh, in and sure. of itself. I use that house for so many things. It's, it's What crazy. else did you use it for? I buried the bushwhackers out there. I did Million Dollar Man vignettes there. I did Mr. Perfect vignettes there. Um which Mr. Perfect vignette would you have done there? The dart, the darts, okay. and, and the and the pool, the pool table one, the the pool one where okay. he sunk the crazy shot. Uh, like I said, I shot. Was that uh, the same pool table, and I didn't put that together? Mm-hmm. Wow, it sure was. Um, I buried the the bushwhackers before they got all their landscaping done because they were the first ones in that area, and they had a lot of just uh, wooded area right. around them. So I use that as the woods for the bushwhackers, Gene Okerlund looking for them back there, and I hit them in piles of leaves and everything. Um, did a lot of Million Dollar Man stuff there. Uh, we shot, uh, they did Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous there with Randy Savage and Robin Leach. Um, DiBiase, we did Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous there too. This is fascinating to me. I so don't we got like why. several, we got several lifestyles of the rich and famous there with Savage and with uh, DiBiase out of the same place. They shot it differently. Are you saying that lifestyles of the rich and famous was a work? No. What? How? how what would make you think that? Um, let's talk about the some more rumors and innuendo. We've been this whole time and we haven't said it yet. We got to get our shit. All in this again. shit is rumor and innuendo folks. Uh, she's summoned to Vince McMahon's office with Jim Ross and Lisa Wolf there. And <laughs> what a crew. Uh, right. Oh my God. Vince tells her that playboy called she's 23 at the time and thinks her dad would roll over in his grave if she did something like that. So she turned it down on the spot. Do you remember this talk? I wasn't in on that talk, but I oh I definitely remember the push to have Sonny in Playboy. Yes, the push coming from their side or your side? Both, really. They came to us, and it was something that Vince initially was against. Right. Vince didn't want to associate with Playboy. Felt that it would tarnish our brand. Right. You know, we're, we're wholesome family. Toward, yes, exactly. However. At the time, there was a push to be a little bit more adult-oriented. Right. And frankly, there there wasn't really any interest prior to this. You know, believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe, but there wasn't a big push to get Moolah in uh, Playboy or... Bull Nakano or any of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Bull, there was a little bit of interest. Oh, sure, I'll be yeah. in, yeah. yeah. So... Um, you know, this was the first time that we had, you know, you got a hot, like I said, hot 23-year-old that people, there was a desire to see her. Oh, yeah. Sans clothes. Sure. So it was something, uh, why don't we try this? And, and Playboy of the gentlemen's magazines was probably the classiest of the bunch. Oh, yeah. No beef shots. Hey, um, 
Chat me up. What do you think the payday on that would have been? I know you don't know. At that time? Yeah. Probably a couple hundred thousand in the several hundred thousand. Cool. I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have had any sort of framer. See that folks? I just I I, I, <laughs> I gave numbers. I, I gave you a number. You well, asked me? It was a speculative number. Um Okay. So let's talk about this. Uh you guys do a deal where she turns on the body Donna's and pretends she's in love with Phineas. Uh, and then Billy Gunn kisses her. So the Godwins drop the belts to the smoking guns. And now that makes three championship teams she's managed. Uh, and now she has several minutes of what she would call unscripted and just ad lib promo time to apologize to Phineas. And he eventually says, I love you. And she smacks him hard. Uh, of course, he'll Billy Jim and the Godwins chase away the smoking guns and they do the big spot where they slopped Sonny and it wound up on the cover of the WWF magazine. Lots of rumors about what was in that bucket, um, but this wasn't the only time they did this slop spot with Sonny. They did it on the house show loops for the next month or so. And she wrote in her book that it was a combination of leftover salad from catering mixed with bread and water. Uh, she says she had heard the rumors of what the guys might do with the bucket. So she kept the bucket in the locker room until the match. You were there. Lots of rumors online about what went down in that bucket. What bucket are we talking about? The slop bucket. What time? Which one? Which one? Okay. <laughs> this is what I want to hear. Okay. Chat me up. Do you have any inside knowledge of any sort well, of bodily Well, there's rumor fluids? and there's innuendo. Um, that, but I, I can tell you for TV and for, for that, uh, there was probably just some leftover stuff from catering and... And TV was legit, but on the house and shows. milk, usually put milk in it, made it look good. Um, but there was rumor and innuendo that that guys used to um, place yeah. other things in there. They would use it as a toilet. I've heard that, never saw it, but I've heard that. I've heard the same rumors. Yes, the guys used to urinate in the bucket and poop in the bucket and what Any, have you. Anything else? Like what? Okay. I don't know. Um, any names associated that you'd like to throw out there that were alleged providers of said excrement? No. Okay. Did they do this six times or did they do it just one, two, three times or? I have no idea. Really and true. No. no. And and I, and I say this. That was a Sean Waltman joke, Bruce. Let's keep it moving. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I say this seriously because you know Vince is is kind of a believe it or not he, he is he can be a stickler on certain things. Don't poop in the bucket. No, oh, god damn it. Stop shitting in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there will be no piss in the bucket, god damn it, pal. There's a urinal over there. And wash your hands. You saw good god, he touched something. Um you know, he, he, he was a, a stickler on, on things like that for people to be professional in that way. And as, as sick as Vince can be sometimes and, and his ru- old rumor and innuendo, he, he was pretty good about that. I love that you feel the need to say, to publicly announce no shitting in the bucket. <laughs> God damn it, guys. A little restraint. <sighs> Eventually, they uh, pair her with Ron Simmons as Farouk Assad, 
Uh, and she wrote in, and she wrote in her book that they wanted them to act like a couple and even tongue kiss on camera. She says she wasn't racist, but wasn't attracted to him. So she refused to do it. Poke holes in this. Um, clearly the idea, I don't know who wrote this shit. <laughs> the idea, man. Let's, let's set the backstory. Ron Simmons, WCW world heavyweight champion, um, all American at Florida state had his Jersey retired. Legit was actually, badass. was actually in the running for a Heisman trophy as a defensive player. He didn't finish high, but he finished raked, you know, for that position. Uh, jersey's le- retired. Jersey's retired. Yeah. Legit badass. And the first ever black world champion in the history of pro wrestling. And now you guys are going to get him and put him in the dumbest fucking gimmick in the history of gimmicks. It was a great gimmick. And, and here's, and here's the reason. The what was the gimmick? Let's hear the, let's, Farouk. But what is it? It was a badass. Well, yeah, but he's wearing this blue dumb shit. Well, there's a reason for that. What is it? The reason for that was to hide his receding hairline and to camouflage him and help him make, make him look younger. That was the reasoning behind it. Okay. And that was actually discussed and done with all of that in mind with Ron and his wife in a, um, here's a great story. So don't know when we'll talk about him again. Actually, we will talk about Ron Simmons again because there's so many great stories. But Ron Simmons was a guy, kind of like Undertaker, that I was a huge fan of. I, I just, I loved Ron's work, loved his look, loved his promos. And I was always trying to get Ron to come over. And I had on my calendar every year. When Ron Simmons' contract was coming up, and I would call him about, six, I'd call him six months before, and then I'd call him at about four months before. Just so we're clear, you're tampering. No, <laughs> not tampering. I would call here because I had it written down, dude, exactly what I could say and when. So at six months, say, hey, Ron, how you doing, man? It's Bruce Pritchard. I'm just calling to see how the hell you're doing. Everything good? Okay, great, man. Hey, uh, here's my number. I just want to make sure that you've got it, and I hope all's going well. If you ever need anything, give me a shout. Four months out, I would remind him of that, pretty much the same type phone call. And 90 days out, when I knew that he had an option to be able to explore other options, I would say, hey, I just want to, uh, first of all, know if you have an option in your contract where you might be able to speak to someone else. If you can, I'm here. I'd love to speak to you. And for the first two, three years, whatever it was, that's where, that was the extent of the conversations. Hey, Bruce, how you doing? Damn. Um, nice, casual conversations. Well, and then it came. Bruce, what you got in mind? Well, are you interested in coming in? Yeah, I may be. Son of a bitch. Um, Hold the phone. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll call you right back. Go in and say, Vince, Ron Simmons wants to talk. Can he talk? Yep. Had him send, you know, the thing that shows me that he could talk and he could negotiate and so on and so, so forth. So he would have to fax you his contract. 
Oh yeah, you had to. We had to have that. Yeah. I mean, legally, I didn't do shit without. Got it. Having that. Um, where does he live? Atlanta. Let's go. And called Ron. I said, "Hey man, uh, we're coming to you." And this was JJ, I believe, was uh, in talent relations at the time, and we told no one. Because this was something I, it was just one of those, it's kind of like Taker in a way, you know, I'd always just been a fan, followed him, Steve Austin, same thing. I'd followed Steve since Dallas and we got on a plane and we think we're being, you know, really cool. We say, okay, let's meet, um, at the Marriott, all the WCW guys were gone. They were out on tour. So we said, Shit, we just meet right there at the Marriott at the airport. Nobody's going to be coming through there because pretty much all WCW people, they're out doing TV or whatever the hell they were doing at the time. We Why go, would he have been home if they're all on tour? Because he was he was off, and it was during a time. He didn't think they were going to renew his contract, That's so a, they weren't using him. I got you. I got you. So, again, now I want to talk, and they're not using me. Got this uh, period in my contract. So we get there and we get a, just to be safe, we get a private room in the back of the restaurant and Ron shows up with his uh, wife and Vince and I are sitting in the back room and Ron comes in and Hey, and he's laughing. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. I just ran into Rick Flair and Art Anderson in the, uh, in the lobby. <laughs> and we're like, what? And. I was like, yeah, Flair and Arn were there with Kevin Green. Yeah. And they were there working out with, with Kevin Green for some match that they had in WCW. And so we go out, and there's me and Vince and Flair and Arn and Kevin Green and Ron Simmons and Lottie. I was like, damn. When you say go out, you see him in the well, lobby well, or Flair's at the hotel bar? Hey, no, he's at the hotel restaurant having lunch. Yeah. And they're right there in front of God and everybody. And so our kayfabe meeting, uh, not so kayfabe, not so kayfabe. So we had to move quick, but it was, it was one of those situations that was all discussed with, with Ron and his wife. And, and again, the idea behind the head here <laughs> was to make Ron. What about them? Gladi- what about them? Gladiator pants. It was just an outfit they had for him. It was something that came up with creative services. We, we quickly got away from that. I mean, it, he did that maybe six months. Why Faruka saw it? Wanted to give him a different name. Just seek it on it. Yeah. Just seems like it kind of diminishes his star power if he changed his name. Did it diminish Cassius Clay's? What a fucking terrible analogy. You just Why? It just is. Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali? Ron Simmons to Faruka Saad? And that, and by the way, that was the that was the analogy given. So that's kind of weird. That's looking. how Ron explained it, or how Vince explained it to Ron. Yeah. Wow. That's not racist at all. Hey, um, it's not. He would have gotten a guaranteed contract at that time, nineteen ninety six, right? It would feel like this would be guaranteed contract time. It was the downside guarantee. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um. Actually, actually, yes, yes, one hundred percent, yes. Did he have any sort of, do you tell his wife right there at lunch, Hey, we're going to have you make out with Sonny without a doubt. And you we guys laid it all out up front. 
we laid out the whole thing with Sonny and that we wanted to allude to a relationship. And this how, would be how, very controversial. How are you alluding to a relationship if they're tongue kissing? That seems like more than a illusion. Well, we we let them know that it would be more than a manager yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. relationship. And then we wanted to allude to a relationship. Uh, his wife was cool with it? Cool is an interesting word. Um, she 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 signed off on it. Yeah, I don't know that she was totally cool with it. Right, but she signed off with it, and she was not going to kill him if he did it. Well, let's talk about uh, who she did kiss. Let's talk about Shawn Michaels. We're going to get here eventually. Might as well, huh? What do you think? Go ahead. Uh, she wrote in her book that Sean wasn't the rude guy that we may have heard about. At least he wasn't with her. He was very nice. And uh, she claims she had a crush on him since she was a kid. Uh, but ironically, I don't know that you've even seen this. She wrote into a wrestling magazine in 1986 about her obsession with Marty Jannetty. Did you know that? No. Back when she was a fan, uh, she actually wrote. It's in the back pages of one of those wrestling magazines, just like the fan letters. And the title is, Wants to Marry Marty Jannetty. First of all, I would like to compliment you on your magazine. It is one of the best. I've been a WWF fan for about four years. One Saturday morning, I decided to watch the AWA on TV. I'd never been interested in the AWA until I saw Marty Jannetty. I think he is the most gorgeous guy in the world. The problem is I cannot find any centerfolds, articles, or color posters of him in any wrestling magazine. Please tell me if he is married. I hope he isn't, because I want him. Tammy Sitch, Old Bridge, New Jersey. I know you want me. Oh, what? You know, that's, you all, that's, that's all I know. Okay. I know you want me. Um. Anyway, there's a skit uh, on TV planned where Sean was going to act like he was going to kiss her and then diss her, quote unquote, right as they left the air. But once they were off the air with her prior consent, uh, he kissed her for real. And they basically made out in the middle of the ring with him laying on top of her in a scene that Meltzer described in this newsletter as Sean, quote-unquote, basically having sex with her. Um, Afterwards, here's what she writes in her book. I had a pretty good idea where this was going and what his intentions were, and I was right. Later that evening, he pulled me into an empty locker room and kissed me and felt me and groped me. And then, like a high school kid, he fucked me. Yep, he banged me <laughs> right there in the locker room. It was so dirty and so not allowed within the crew, and that made it even better. Oh, my God, it was mind-blowing sex, and that was the beginning of the love affair that would lead to my broken heart. We were all over each other. We had sex everywhere and anywhere uh, for every show, in empty locker rooms, vacant bathrooms, broom closets, electrical closets, production trucks, and even in Vince's personal private locker room. The only people who knew were the members of the clique and eventually Vince. Surprisingly, Vince actually approved. He had a strict rule back then about members of the crew not getting involved romantically, but he approved of us. That became apparent to me at one particular TV taping when Vince was behind Sean and I in line for catering. He leaned in and asked, so how are we doing with a clear emphasis on the we? Okay, Vinnie Mac, you caught us red-handed. It wasn't uncommon for Sean and me to go at it four times in one day at a TV taping and a couple more times at night in our hotel. Members of the clique were designated to, quote-unquote, watch the door 
for whatever the locker room we decided to occupy. Usually it was Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid. I was still on the road with Chris Candido keeping up the charade. So no one knew about Sean and me, especially Chris, even though we were just cohabitating, I didn't see any reason to upset him. This feels really, really weird to read in print in her book, but I want your kind of take on what she wrote there. Well, obviously I never saw them having sex. Uh, there were rumor and innuendo all over the place about her relationship with Sean. Where do you first hear it? Oh God, I don't know. But I mean, everybody was talking about it. It wasn't like they were hiding it. I mean, I, I, she probably thinks they were hiding it. Well, it's like the guy that, that goes out and, and sneaks that 12 pack in the middle of the day and thinks nobody can smell the beer on him and, right. and knows that he's been out drinking. Um, everybody suspected it. And there were a lot of rumor and innuendo about it, and they didn't—they didn't hide their affection in public. It was very obvious, and the general sentiment of the locker room and everybody else was more of not—you know—oh my God, they're—they're they're over there fucking. Was poor Chris, right? Because it, it kind of, it just put Chris in a bad light the and it worst. put him in a, in a horrible, awkward position. Yeah. If he bows up, he's bowing up, you know, with Sean and everybody and he's Sean, of, Sean was the man. He's out of a job. That's his fear. He's out of a job and, and he's got, you know, and, and in his mind, he's got to fight everybody, I guess. And on the other side of it, you know, it's embarrassing. God, it, it, it's embarrassing and demoralizing as a man that your girlfriend that you're living with is, you know, running around with a, a, another man denying it to your face and everybody else knows and is seeing it and she's denying it to your face. So he was in a tough, he was in a really tough quandary there. Um, he definitely, I mean, definitely suspected it and definitely heard the rumors and definitely was internally battling it constantly on a daily basis. I feel bad for him. Oh, felt horrible. Jesus Christ. Being there, you felt horrible for him Um, because you want to, you know, you want to shake him. But what, I mean, he's in a bad spot. He said, what can he do? Well, he could, he could have walked away from her. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, he he could have walked away from the situation. But I and mean, he, as far as you know, most dudes listening to this will be like, "I'm gonna, I'll go. go kick his ass." Can't do you, that. You want you want to confront the guy? Yeah. And yeah, and you're in a bad situation. It's at work. It's the star of the show, and he's in the star of the show's letting everybody know, "Don't fuck with me." Um. So he's he's just in a lose lose situation. The only thing that he could have done, in my opinion, you know, was walk away from her and say, "Hey, you know what, man? Go be happy." next and move on he was so in love with her i mean just head over heels in love with her that she could have i mean she probably could have you know she actually wrote about that she says you're probably wondering if chris ever knew about the affair i had with sean i can honestly say i don't know he never once brought it up to me never once even questioned it He never once asked me where I was for hours at night in a hotel while he waited on me up in our room. 
He never once questioned who I went to Jamaica with. He never once accused me of anything. Do I think he knew? Yes. He knew. He definitely knew. And it, and it ate him up. Did any of the guys talk to him about it? Yes. Um, Paul Bear in a shoot interview says he never got along with Sonny, and this was the primary reason he felt bad for Chris and would try to talk him into handling things differently. Do you remember anybody else kind of taking him aside and having a talk like that? Well, my poor brother, uh, you know, had to live it because he was teaming with Chris at the time. So he had, he, he was the one having to deal with Chris's emotions on the other side. Right. And so he dealt with it quite a bit and it was, what's the thing? Oh, it's one of those deals where, no, um, just poor Chris, man. He, he was in between a rock and a hard place. And again, the fact that he did nothing is people got to the point where they stopped feeling sorry for him and were kind of like, okay, dumbass. If you're, you know, you're not going to do anything. You're going to let this little girl run all over you and do this shit in your face. Then you don't deserve anybody to feel bad for you. Because you're letting it happen and you're not doing anything about it. You're not either kicking her to the curb or confronting him or just something, anything. But nothing did not, nothing basically made the situation worse. Right. Uh, for him and the way that guys looked at him. And then they, then it became the viewpoint of Sonny and Sean kind of like, well, the boyfriend doesn't care. Why should we care? Yeah. No, I get it. In her book, she details a big vacation they took together where she claims Sean had Vince give her the time off to take a vacation with him to Jamaica. Uh, But what I want to discuss here is what comes from her being there for him and taking care of him. Um, Not necessarily the vacation after, but what led up to her taking care of him. He was beat up. Uh, This is going to Syracuse, October of 95. This is now an internet legendary story where he had an issue with some Marines in a bar. Can you clear up what happened to the best of your knowledge with that incident? What, the Marines in the bar? Yeah. There are a lot of different stories from that night. And the general consensus is is Sean got his ass kicked by allegedly four, four to six Marines in a bar. Um, outside of Syracuse. That's right. That's right. And, you know, they, they beat the shit out of him. They did a hell of a number on him. He ended up in the hospital. He was in the hospital for a few days. And that was the situation that led to him vacating the intercontinental title due to the concussion and the. To Dean Douglas. To Dean Douglas. Right. And yeah, Sean was in a bad way, but. He had been out with, I think, Bulldog and uh, one, two, three kids. That's right. And um, everybody was messed up, and Sean got beat up pretty bad. It was a messed up deal. So supposedly Bulldog comes and gets her uh, from her hotel room where she's sleeping, uh, obviously, with Chris, and says, hey, Sean's hurt. He's been beat up. She spends a bunch of time at the hospital right by his side taking care of him, um, and so then he offers to take her on vacation she gets the time off from Vince uh, or Sean actually arranges that. 
Uh, and she goes into ridiculous detail about this. This is almost embarrassing. Uh, I know that I'm just a horrible person for sharing this, but she wrote it. So I'm going to ask about what you think about her sharing this. By the third day, we were both so sore that we had to take a break. We were having sex 10 times a day, all day, every day, up until then. And ever since then, Sean is the best partner I ever had. He just knew what to do. And he was so sensual while he did sensual while he did it. We made love like champs. Uh, he did have this one small, strange fetish though. He liked to bend me over the bathroom counter and watch me as he did me from behind while I was applying ruby red lipstick over and over just applying thick coats until I look like Joker from Batman and never really understood what he got out of it, but I turned him on something fierce and got him rock hard. Can you believe somebody would write this? Yeah, I have no comment on that. This That's, is a fucking married I mean, guy of many, many years. Yeah. I, and I, she wrote all this. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. Can you defend this? This no, feels like. I can't. I, I go I, from feeling kind of sad about, man, look at what happened to. And then I read this and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I just don't think there's any need for that stuff. I feel bad even saying that, but I can't believe this is a thing, man. Well, uh, you, the only thing I can say to that is that was Shawn Michaels of then. But again, I, be, because he does have kids, and, and, I, and I empathize <sighs> with that. And I empathize with the man that he is now. And the man that he is now and the man that he was then, are, in my opinion, are no, two different No, there's nothing wrong people. with what he's doing here. I'm not judging No, that. no, I'm, I'm not either. I'm just saying the fact that she wrote it and put it out there <sighs> for the world. And... I just kind of like, God that's damn, some super why? private. What are you doing? Right. Like, right. And this that, is not for, and those are, mo- and those are moments that you, just what you said, were private that you hope would remain private. I, you know, wow. So let's follow up with something wrestling related for a but, minute. But also to, to that fact on the aftermath of that, when they came back, she walked around the, the dressing rooms with pictures of them in Jamaica and showed everybody. Serious? Yeah. Wow. You know, that was another one of those, okay, hey, Chris, where did you think she was all this time? And she's showing everybody pictures. Mm. So there wasn't like, well, there's a question. It wasn't rumored innuendo. There wasn't suggestions. It was she was showing pictures to everyone. I found this to be a little off-putting, too. Um, She somewhat blames this vacation on her struggles with alcohol in the book. She writes, one night... When Sean was ordering his regular doers and soda, I told him I'd have one too. He looked at me confused, but you don't drink. Are you sure? I told him yes. And that one drink wouldn't kill me. After all, we were on vacation and this was vacation of a lifetime. So I had my first drink ever at 23 years old, a doers and soda. It was Sean's drink. It was the clicks drink. It was Vince's drink. Just one drink, then two, then three. I don't know how many I had, but I had a really good buzz going and I wasn't falling over myself drunk. The next morning, I felt fine. No hangover at all. And I figured that since I didn't get crazy drunk and I didn't get sick afterwards, that I might as well have more fun on the trip and keep drinking. What harm could it do? Right? Wrong. These few casual drinks on a vacation of 23, year old, 23 years old were the beginning of the end for me, as you'll read later. So she's kind of half-assed blaming. It's just weird to me. I became an alcoholic because I drank the drink that Vince McMahon drinks. Well, and Vince, that's the Vince, drinks. Vince didn't drink soda with the scotch. No. He drank double doers on the rocks. It's still just interesting to me. I, it's a cop-out. It's super weird. 
Uh, she writes how she helped Sean decorate and design the house he was building in Texas and that he asked her to move in. Uh, she didn't move in, so he broke up with her at the uh, television convention in Las Vegas. And shortly thereafter, she writes that he met the woman who would become his wife, got married, and had kids. And she openly wonders and wishes if this could have been her life in her book. It seems really, really weird to me to share all that personal information and then say, I wonder if I could have had his kids. And so dude has been married for well over a decade. What are you doing? Yeah, well, I think we can all agree that she has had a challenged life. Let's talk about Bret Hart. Uh, this is something that got a lot of folks fired up. Sean, after he breaks off the relationship, does a promo when he's not necessarily in the best position in his life. Uh, and he's feuding with Brett and he makes a mention of sunny days that caused some heat. And we all know what happened with Montreal and the backstage hair, you know, hair pulling incidents and all that stuff. Um, she writes in her book for all of 96 and some of 97, I was the only girl on the road. So I had my own locker room. Uh, in many of the venues we worked at the time, there would be a small backstage area, usually only with two locker rooms, one for me and then the other for all of the boys. Bret Hart hated that, and he started using my locker room every night. There was no way he was squeezing into a room with 20 other guys. It wasn't happening. So when I would change, he would leave. When he would change, I would leave. In between those times, if I wasn't off somewhere screwing Sean, we had some really good conversations and became very good friends. Uh, and she kind of says that that's kind of where it ended. And, um, Sean, who she was dating, hated that they shared this locker room. And, uh, it was mostly because of his situation or feelings with Brett. Uh, and she did say that once Brett kissed her, but that's it. Nothing else happened. And I find this interesting. Uh, besides I had too much respect for his family to disgrace them like that. So we kissed. But I had too much. <laughs> I don't get it. And, and I have too much respect for his family to do that, to disgrace them. By the way, Sean liked to do me from behind while I put lipstick on. What, who the, what the fuck? This is a crazy person. Can we agree? I think we can agree on that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of her television persona, but this is crazy. Like, what yeah, the hell? I think so. Did you, when did you first hear of any sort of Brett and Sonny rumor? the sunny sunny days comment it hadn't been murmured backstage at all at that point not that i'd heard no wow because i remember when it when it the comment was made afterwards brett being upset i'm like what the what the hell is he all pissed off about right because i i hadn't heard it up until that point (coughs) but i wasn't on the road all i did was tvs and at that point so it was in september of 96 they uh, take her off the road Uh, And she says it's because they're going to give her a uh, production staff contract. And she's now going to be working directly under Kevin Dunn. uh, And her salary, she writes, was $100,000 per year. And she got an expense account. She wouldn't have to pay for anything on the road anymore. And she also got first-class airfare, which I assume had to be a super heat situation. Uh, She says every time we were on a plane, there were only four people flying in first class. Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, and me. The rest of the crew flu coach that sound right to you i don't know about the first class airfare that was i mean first class airfare is still a big deal now. it is a big deal there and, and for that i cannot imagine well see i can't imagine them doing that from the standpoint to protect her right 
So uh, I don't know. I didn't see that contract. I don't know, but I would say that was highly unlikely. Um, Luger used to talk about how he had first-class airfare, and Luger didn't have first-class airfare. So that's just – but it is one of the holy grail things to wrestling. Oh, without a doubt. Well, you get first-class airfare, that that's a major check mark. This expense account is a big deal, uh, and she was really excited about it. Um, and she gives an example. She says, see, when you're on the road 300 days a year paying your own expenses, and you can easily spend 30% of your income – to live on the road between hotels, rental cars, gas, tolls, food, and of course, liquor. At the end of the year, you have to fork over another 30% to Uncle Sam. So a wrestler making $100,000 per year is really only taking home around forty grand. And she remembered writing checks to the IRS for thirty grand uh, for years, and it sucked big time. So she writes in her book that she started letting Chris and Tom join her for meals and would expense it all to the point that Jr. even asked, may I ask what you're eating for breakfast for $90 every day? Uh, and she also takes credit for routinely covering Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, uh, as she says they would travel with her for long stretches at a time so they could get their stuff paid for too, meals, gas, tolls, etc. And uh, she says Jr. approved all of this. Was this commonplace? Was what commonplace? For there to be an to, expense account for a talent like this and for them to abuse it and the company know it and be okay with it. Well, I don't think that the company was okay with it because I, I remember it and I remember JR addressing it. And I don't think, I think that they may have put a limit on her at okay. some point because it, it was getting abuse. out of hand. It, yeah, it was getting out of hand. And like, I mean, that's, I bet you that conversation with JR happened verbatim. Because he's looking at it and going, what the hell is, you know, who the hell is she buying? You know, big shot over here. Hey, I'll buy, I'm buying dinner. I'm buying breakfast. And and it's cool for the executive vice president of talent relations or whatever to pick up a tab for the boys. Right. That's different. An on-camera talent just paying for the boys. That's a different thing. Completely different. And from a executive standpoint, when we were putting those positions you know, Vince, it was almost mandatory. You know, you picked up the tab for the crew. Right. Whether it be cameramen and cable pullers just or everybody. the top talent. Yeah. You, you picked up their, their tab because that's what Vince would do. And if we were ever put in that position, that's what we would do. But that wasn't carte blanche for everybody. Right. Um, she talks about when pairing the uh, LOD uh, happened. So the Legion of Doom are going to come back and they're going to get a big push at WrestleMania 14. Uh, which goes down March 29th, 1998 in Boston. Uh, whose idea was it to put her with LOD? Do you remember? I want to say it's probably Vince. What's the thinking there? The thinking there was to freshen up Legion of Doom and give them a new feel. And they'd, they'd had Paul Ellering and they'd had Rocco. Um, their previous managers. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. Wow, that's something we'll talk about another time. Okay, cool. Uh, well, we just get lots of tweets about it. And yes, I know we that, do. I know we're going to do a Legion of Doom episode. Yep. So I just want to talk about the sunny aspect of that for now, and right. then we'll, we'll come back. It was, it was just simply to, to freshen them up and give them a different look. There's rumors online about her relationship with Animal. She describes the relationship in her book as nothing more than friendly. Have you heard any rumors about this? And do you think I heard any rumors more? about it, but I don't think there was any more than that. It was just guys just... I think it was guys... You know, easy. You see, you see a guy with a pretty girl. Hey, let me just run through this. I've just wondered this, and this mm-hmm. is not something I thought I was going to ask on air, but I'll just do it. 
This is not common speak for me. Let me apologize ahead of time. Did the boys consider her a whore based on her behavior with Chris and Sean? I think it'd be fair to say. I'm not saying that's a word. No, that I'm saying that'd be, be fair. I'm away. saying that'd be fair to say. So there wasn't a lot of respect for her. So anybody who is nice to her or rides with her or is polite with her or spends time with her, the natural inclination is going to be, well, she's a whore. So the natural inclination is probably there's something going on. Um, to be clear, but, I'm not but saying also, that. Yeah. And, but also, and, and I will, um, I don't know if there's anything going on or not, but I'll speak for Joe Lauren. The Joe Laurinaitis I know right. is one of these guys that's a really kind guy that if he sees the person over there being ostracized and kind of being picked on, that Joe would go over and befriend them and help them out. And then he gets a bad, he gets rumors about he might have got in exchange. He probably gets a stink on for him being from, a nice guy. for being a nice guy because Joe really is that nice guy he's the one that tries to look out for everybody uh she writes in her book you know when she's first talking about uh being paired with lod that she's going to get new gear made you know kind of a new outfit and she meets with uh julie youngberg at the time the wwf's head seamstress she's a name that most fans wouldn't recognize do you have any insight or fun stories about julie youngberg yeah well, we haven't talked about this, but you just made a really big grin. Well, no, they used to call they used to call um, Julie and Terry her sister. The who's uh, still there? Yeah, great lady. Um, the uh, the nuns, because they would now think about this, man. Here, here are two young ladies that are seamstresses that did stuff. They started out doing stuff for Sean and Bulldog, you know, I think Brett. Brett, yeah, and they would travel on their own dime around the country to do uh, outfits for these guys. And they did great work. So, you know, they were making money off of selling the outfits, but a lot of times they had to be there in the towns and stuff to fit them, to prepare all all the above, man. And, And they carried all their own stuff, man. They worked their asses off. Still do. Yeah. And, so they they were referred to as the traveling nuns. Vince always called them ah the nuns. Um, Where's that and they come were, from? They were they were wild. I mean they they would go out and party with everybody. Really nice. I mean, actually, really nice. Two great gals and very talented. And so they had you know they had the rumor and innuendo surrounding her. But as far as I, I like to use them as an example of somebody that had this little little niche and turned it into a hell of a business for themselves. And you, they worked tirelessly, busting their ass. Their work's excellent. Yeah, I had never heard opinion. any of the rumors or any end of it you were talking about there. I just knew that. In the early days there were. And, yeah. and again, once they, once they came on full-time for WWE as the seamstresses, a lot of that went away. But the rumor, because, again, you got two... Young girls yeah. traveling the road, following the wrestlers. Oh, well, they're following the wrestlers around. You know what's going on? Well, if you're, you're insinuating they were rats. No, I'm insinu- I'm saying that's the perception. Yeah, that's the perception. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, you know, they're going around and they're working. Yeah. They're making a living for themselves, sure. supporting that's themselves the going yeah. around by doing outfits for these guys and busting their asses. And to me, they're a hell of a success story and they're still there and they're still... 
I Rocking. assume doing great, man, yeah. because they're the ones that started it. They were the first seamstresses that WWE ever had on full time, and they're still there. What would um, what would you guess that one of Sean's outfits used to cost? God, I don't just know. just freestyle thousands. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, man, I mean, good well, job. Know, the work they put into those. But the they, only thing people ever really talk about is, you know, in this regard, it's Flair's robes and how yeah. much they cost. Oh, yeah. But Sean had some pretty elaborate outfits. Yeah. Undertaker had some pretty big time stuff. Yep. Brett. Uh, Brett had some nice jackets. Absolutely. And, and nice Bull, tights. Bulldog had the big cape. Yeah. And the deep, but the, you, you think about the outfits that they wear, the detail that goes into the trunks and the tights and the knee pads and the uh boot covers and all that stuff a lot of people don't know i know the answer but a lot of people listening don't who pays for that the talent does see i think a lot of people have this misconception that the wwf pays for that no the boys are giving them cash or check and right settling up with these ladies individually and it ain't cheap no so you know the, the seamstresses came in and they did that and they had a business unto themselves and i used to love when the guys say, oh, man, they're, they're uh, charging too much. Okay, go somewhere else. Yeah. You don't have to get stuff from them. Yeah. And then when they would go out and try and do something else, it would either come back and it would fall apart the first or time that they wore it. Or and they needed them to repair it. Or, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I loved when Creative Services one time, they uh, <coughs> had someone, oh, I can recreate all those costumes, they called them. Well, a costume in a movie is very well protected and doesn't have to under bumps. You take bumps and the wear and tear. And we they said, well, you know, we we can do that for a fraction of the price. And they put together some stuff, and it wouldn't. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Aldo Montoya, yeah, PJ. His first outfit that he was the experiment with this new seamstress person that they had gotten that could do these outfits a fraction of the price that the girls could do fell apart first time he wore it really and when i say fell apart i mean fell apart they said oh well you you can't like grab on it and pull on it and all that so of course it's going to fall apart that's what happens that's what they do they're wrestlers they have to wrestle in it and perform in it every night and those were you know things but how the hell we get off on uh the nuns well, we talked to, I mean, I wanted oh, to talk okay. about them. Right, well, don't get hot. <laughs> Look, now you're hot. I don't know when we'll talk about them again. Don't know when we'll talk about them again. Okay, let's talk about drugs. Here we are. Uh, she talks Ain't about, got none. Got any extra? Ain't got none. Do, do, do. Uh, she talks about somas in her book, and we've talked about somas here on the show before. Bad news. I don't know why it's such a wrestling thing, but it is. Um, she says, I can't believe she does this again. Sean gave her her first pill. And her first drink and broke her heart. He's the heartbreak kid. There you go. Uh, eventually, she became a Mexican drug mule. And uh, I'm not exaggerating. She lays out exactly what? how she did it in her book. Let me let me run through this. You ready for this? Oh, my. It gets worse, huh? A thousand Vicodin, a thousand Percocet, three thousand Somas, two thousand Xanax, two thousand Valium, five hundred Rofinol. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Uh, testosterone preloaded syringes, vials of Winstraw, and clenbuterol tabs. It was a pill popper's dream. And why did I buy so much, you ask? 
Well, when the crew got wind of me taking a trip down to Tijuana, a few of them asked me to bring some goodies back. Why not, right? What harm could it do? With that quantity of pills, how could I possibly get them across the border? Well, here's my trick, and I don't recommend this to anyone. Kids, don't try this at home. I would go to Tijuana each month wearing a pair of overalls with lots of pockets, and I'd wear a baseball cap and bring a camera, so I look like a complete tourist. I'd go to a few shops and buy eight or ten Mexican blankets, a piñata, and a bottle of tequila with the worm in it. The key is to park your car on the U.S. side and walk over the long bridge across the border and then walk back the same way. Why? Because if you drove across the border, there's a 99% chance your car will be completely torn apart and searched when you cross back. When you walk, your bags go through a metal detector, but not your body. So I would layer all these plastic pill bottles between the Mexican blankets and anything with metal, like syringes and vials, I would put in my pockets of my overalls. So when you walk back through security, they ask you what you need to declare. I acted like a happy tourist, just bringing home blankets for the family and tequila for my dad. And voila, now I'm a pro in the drug trafficking game. Your thoughts? Kind of sad. That's a shame. I would go back on the road and distribute the boys' orders, primarily to members of the clique. At a show in Texas, I gave Sean Waltman a bottle of 90s Annex, 2 milligrams each. By the end of the night, he had 20 left, and he was still standing, albeit barely. Brutal. Had you heard about this before? That no. she would make runs to no. Mexico and bring back guys' stuff? No. This just seems... You know, yeah, it's 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 also strange. I was talking to uh, Ken Hoffman from the Houston Chronicle last night who reminded me of uh, Dr. Death Steve Williams when Doc was uh, caught coming across the border. Right. With what, he, what he said, uh, essentially four CVS's worth of prescription medication. He went down the list, which was something like that. And it's it's just sad. It really is. I hate to hear that. I, I didn't know that. I knew that she did them, but... Um, she was running orders for people? Yeah. Wow. I had no clue. That's scary. Just, wow. Yeah, wow. Uh, she describes her first meeting with Sable as not being a good one, and there's lots of uh, talk about her and Sable, so we'll get into it. Uh, she claims that Sonny and Marlena had their bag, or, you know, herself and Marlena, had their bags laid out in her dressing room, uh, and on her first night in, Sable just moved all their stuff, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, and she writes, I'm not going to go on about Rena, frankly, because she's not worth the energy, but I wanted to put this in the book to clear something up. I didn't like her at all. No one did really. Over the years, a lot of people have speculated that I didn't like her because I had professional jealousy towards her. That couldn't be further from the truth. She had her place on the roster and I had mine. I was the girl you wanted to bring home to mom and Mary, the all-American girl next door. She was the one you take to a hotel room that had an hourly rate. This is in her book from this year. Brutal. You know, when Rena came in, there was a lot of jealousy. and From her or others? Her being sunny. Oh, from her being sunny. And, and I would dare say others, too, man. You got a beautiful... And Russo was obsessed with her, based on what I've read. With Rena? Yeah. Yeah, he was. I, I'm not saying that's a shit on Vince. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. He man. thought, hey, she's a star. Look at her. She Let's, was. Yeah. She was. I mean, brother, Sable was 
let's go facts or facts, man. <laughs> she she was the hottest thing, and she was outselling Sunny. She a... did outsell. She blew Sunny out of the water as far as merchandise sales and everything else. So all of a sudden, there's competition. And there's new, hotter, you know, newer, hotter babe in town. And you got, you know, the one that's been here now a couple years. Right. And she's not showing up on time. She's not um, coherent. Oh, yeah. A we're we're going to get into good all stuff. That. And so now you've got the new, the new model here. And. Marina's new. She's ready. She's willing to do anything, and she's up. And oh, and by the way, the reaction she gets when she walks out there is Huge. yes. And oh, by the way, holy shit, we put a poster of of her for sale, and it just blows off the shelves and blows up wwf dot com and um huge. Marina was hot, man. Marina was she she was at the time. You know, Sunny was the first. But man, all of a sudden the, the newer model came along and was like rut row. So I would I would debate the jealousy thing. I think it was pretty much ninety nine and a half percent jealousy because She acts like she has she being Sunny acts like she has a really good relationship with Vince McMahon to the point where even after she's no longer with the company when Vince has a lawsuit with Sable, which we'll discuss another time. She calls Vince at home to give him some information about Sable. Do you, where do you think, what do you think Vince thinks about Sonny? Probably. I think he would probably share the same opinion. I have sad. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Luna Vachon. Uh, Luna is brought into the company in the middle of all this Sable Sonny stuff. And very early in her tenure, she flips out on Sunny backstage and beats her up pretty good, blooding her knuckles, throwing luggage on her, slinging her Halliburton at her, and Sunny blames it all on Sable. By the end of the night, everything's patched up. Luna's apologized, and supposedly, if you believe Sunny's account, uh, Sable's in her ear, getting her round, getting her wound up about Sunny, and that's where this fight happens. Do you remember this? The backstage fight between oh, yeah. the two. Yeah. Did he give us any details? Well, I, I just, obviously, I just, the aftermath um, was a fired up Luna. And it didn't take a whole lot uh, to get old Gertrude riled up. And she was tougher than 90% of the guys in the locker room. And she didn't care for Sonny. And Sonny, you know, would would make it be known you know, that she was Queen B. And from Rena's point of view, here, now you also have to understand, it's it's two different worlds. Sonny grew up wanting to be in the wrestling business, being a fan. Right. Rena is a mom mm-hmm. who is married to a wrestler, who a promoter says, God damn, what about you? Um, we could do something with you. And all of a sudden, she's thrown into a business that she doesn't know and or understand. She becomes a huge star. So the the person, Rena Marrow, was really naive. And she wasn't, to her, it was a business. 
to her, this was her job and she was there for her husband and all of a sudden she's got a shitload of success. And I think that the feeling was the way that Sonny treated her was unfair because she wasn't one of the boys. Mm -hmm. She wasn't just another girl wrestler. And I think that Luna, and this is my opinion, and this is from talking to Luna, was like, you don't treat people like that. And it was Luna's way of standing up for the for Sable the way that she was being treated by uh, Sonny. There was a, a heat situation towards the end of 96. Uh, there was apparently some sort of segment written on Raw, and I'll let you kind of poke holes in this. Um, I forget the exact situation, but there was something where it was Mark Merrill wrestling for Rook. I, I'm going to guess it was like September. And uh, somewhere, you know, the rumor was uh, Sonny was going to beat up Sable, but Merrill put his foot down and wouldn't go for it. And that caused even more issues, not only with Sable and Sonny, but then Miro and Sonny. And this became so difficult that you guys just ultimately made the decision to pull her off the road, get rid of this, and just let her do live wire and other stuff. Would that be when you kind of think that some of this stuff started to be like, okay, this is not as workable? Right, because it's it's unreasonable. And I, I can tell you why Miro... Um was uncomfortable with it. He wasn't, he, he wasn't comfortable with his wife being in that situation. Again, she wasn't a performer, right? She wasn't a wrestler and Tammy, you know, made it known. She didn't like Rena and didn't want to put his wife in a position that she could get hurt. Right. Was, he was not comfortable with it. So I don't have a problem with him speaking up about it. And I think that, Tammy had kind of worked herself into a shoot there where she's promoted so much. She wants to beat the shit out of Sable, wants to do this, wants to do that. It's like, okay, well, you know what? No, we're not going to. Let's, let's jump around and do some more Sable talk. Slammy's 1997. Uh, Miss Slammy is won by Sable uh, since she wore the most revealing bikini. Um, and Meltzer wrote at the time, the show seemed to really have two messages be made clear. Uh, the Undertaker was winning the title and pushing Sable ahead of Sonny as the woman they're giving the big promotional push to. Absolutely tackiest comment goes to Helmsley for his remark about Sonny, saying she's only good for one thing and that he's heard from his best friend that she isn't even very good at that. You can imagine right now it wouldn't be a wise idea to invite Helmsley and Candido to the same dinner table. It's one thing to be a high schooler and say things like that to your friends, but it's quite another to say it on national television. He supposedly gets a lot of internal heat, he being Helmsley, for these remarks regarding Sonny uh, that were considered out of place. And there was heat on Shawn Michaels uh, that same weekend for doing the click hand signal um, on WrestleMania. Do you remember this remark? Well, now that you bring it up, I, yeah, I remember it. Well, what was the... When he comes back through... Does he get a talking to from Vince or from you or Pat or? Well, I don't even know. I think that was one that we had where there were banquets and where they were That's sitting right. out at the table. So Correct. there was no coming back through. Um, you eventually run into him though and have a conversation. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Oh, without a doubt. What I'm does sure, that look I'm sure like? Vince had a conversation with him. I didn't. Okay. But it was probably exactly what was said there. It was unprofessional and it was, you don't do that. There's, that's not the time and place to do that kind of stuff. It's juvenile and 
There's the no seeds, place for it. The seeds of DX here. Yeah. Um. But you know, going back to it, it's it's funny the the, the verbiage and narrative. Well, they decided to push Rena. The audience told us they wanted Sable. Right. And so, yeah, the decision is to go where the audience is telling you they want you to go. It's interesting to me that that may be the sentiment here in America, but uh, in August, uh, Meltzer wrote, Gong Magazine put out a special issue this week devoted to full-color shots of the USA women in wrestling. With the cover in the first 15 pages being devoted to Sonny, Sable got six pages, Marlena four, Elizabeth six, Deborah McMichael four, Medusa three, uh, and then he lists everybody else as just getting smaller spreads. Kimberly, Sherry, Woman, Missy Hyatt, Beulah, Francine, etc. Um, when you're saying and you keep pounding Sable was the more popular, do you think that was based on actual merchandise reports or just Vince McMahon and or Vince Russo's obsession with Sable? It's all the above. It's you listen to the reactions and you listen to the dwindling reactions for Sonny, but you also when you're looking at merchandise and you've got uh, guys. Well, now out, some of that dwindling reaction is based on the fact that you got okay, S- Sable but, walking around half-ass naked. Okay. Well, why did you just have Sonny do that? We did for years. Not and but but also at the same time, again, it's new, it's fresh, and when her numbers are exploding, you go with it. Uh, she writes in her book, by 1997, I was beginning to get frustrated with my position in the WWF. At that time, I was pretty much only being used as a model. They would hit my music, and I would walk down the stage and ramp, wearing an Undertaker t-shirt and walk back. That's it. I was bored to death. Yeah. I didn't create to have more for her here. Where people because you just... couldn't trust her. You couldn't trust her to go out and do things. and You... You had to deal with which Sonny is going to show up today. You couldn't trust her based on her having a bitchy attitude or based on her being a drug addict. Well, all the above. She was erratic. She was showing up late. She was showing up in, in different states of mind. And it's like, okay, which which Sonny am I going to have today? A couple quick things to hit on. Um, the WWF held a UK-only pay-per-view around this time. This would have been uh, 97, I'm going to guess September, October. And Sean was interviewed by Sonny backstage on this show. Do you remember this particular interview? It only, we got a lot of tweets about it. The gist is he's basically fondling her on camera and has a hand up her skirt and says something like, holding four titles is pretty impressive, but not as impressive as what I'm holding right now. And then later says, I'm feeling pretty randy uh, tonight. Can you feel it? Uh, so they're just... I mean, he's really kind of pushing the envelope here. Do you remember this at all? Vaguely. Do you remember going to Japan for Michinoku Pro in October of 97? Vividly. You managed The Undertaker, which feels really fucking weird here. Uh, but I enjoy the match. It is available on YouTube. You and I actually stumbled across this once uh, where the dead Hakushi character uh, is buried in the ring, covered in dirt, and brought back to life just to get beat up by the Undertaker. Right. Uh, managed by Bruce Pritchard, not as Brother Love, just as Bruce Pritchard. Yeah. Meltzer wrote here that Minchinoku Pro spent sixty grand to get the Undertaker and Sonny to this show. Does that sound right to you? Uh, I can specifically say that his numbers are wrong. Higher or lower? Doesn't matter. His numbers are wrong. Minchinoku Pro is not in business anymore, are they? What does it matter? No. It was higher than that. Higher? Yes. 
There's only 6,000 people there, and they spent more than 60 grand. Yes. Wow, no wonder they're out of business. And flu, me, Undertaker, uh, oh, first Tammy, class. and them all over, yes. Those are 10 grand tickets. Yes. Um, in November, the WWE, WWF, uh, had her just doing, her being Sunny, uh, just doing a lot of referee matches for Mexican mini matches on TV. So it's apparent to me that you guys are really starting to kind of struggle to find stuff for her to do. Is that something you would agree with? Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, that was during a time that, yeah, I was doing a lot of other stuff, but, uh, yeah. She missed the, uh, December pay-per-view in 97, uh, called the generation X. Uh, she says she was, uh, uh, she had injured her foot and that a horse had stepped on it. And that's why she wasn't there. Oh, or it might've been Terry Funk's horse. It was sick. Uh, in December, she, that same month, she got a little bit of heat on herself saying it was a mistake to get rid of Bret Hart and that the WWF should get rid of every wrestler who weighs more than 300 pounds. Uh, in January of 98 at the ECW arena show, she's there with Chris Candido and she is a big part of a fight that happens at Tony Luke's that a lot of people kind of think she was at the center of, uh, that all stemmed from a double parking deal. Uh, and then just more random stuff here. Uh, referee gig at the rumble in 98, uh, does a Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday to open a raw in February. The incident with Luna happens in February that same month. There's a big to do with Dennis Corluzzo where she no showed an event for him. And instead, uh, did a gig with ECW up the road. So Dennis complained to the WWF and they took it up with Heyman. And he says he didn't pressure her to no show. Do you remember that incident with Carluzzo? I don't. Um, In March, she appeared uh, on the ECW pay-per-view in New Jersey without WWF permission. They didn't mind her working house shows, but pay-per-view and TV wouldn't have been approved. Do you remember this kind of working arrangement? Yeah, I do. And and it's, there's just much heat on Paul, not, not letting us know as well. Uh, so then in April of 98, if you're keeping up, uh, that's when they, you know, have her start doing the stuff with LOD. I guess it's March 29th, uh, for WrestleMania. Uh, but the plan was not to put her on the road full time, just the major shows and whatever house shows are in the Northeast. But this is where the problems start. This is why I'm kind of breaking this down because in May she starts missing shows left and right. And it comes out that she is voluntarily taking herself off the road to deal with she called uh, a personal situation uh she was at the next pay-per-view at the end of may uh, in your house over the edge Uh, but on june 2nd just a couple days later she showed up six hours late to a tv taping in rockford illinois and the rumors were abound as to why later that month on the 21st she missed an autograph signing in ridgewood new york claiming she was in a car wreck Uh, And then she was given an ultimatum on June 26th to either undergo and complete treatment for an alleged substance abuse problem or be terminated. Uh, When she went for treatment, she claimed not to have a problem and chose not to undergo the treatment and then never responded to the WWF attempts to reach her. Uh, It's worth noting that when they gave her the ultimatum, she allegedly blamed Sable being pushed past her and being, quote, saddled with L.O.D., uh, as being part of the problem. So she says, based on Paul Heyman's advice, she just quit answering the phone and quit responding and they stopped mailing the checks and she was gone. That's kind of her 
line, and she says that strategy came from Paul E. Uh, Meltzer reports that Tammy was fired by the WWF on July 31st for violating her talent contract, and it was based on drugs. The contract was set to expire in late 2001, and we're still in 98 here. Uh, but she didn't wait to hear this news before she appeared on the Heatwave pay-per-view with ECW, and she just showed up there, and Meltzer noted it looked like she hadn't slept in days. And she was referred here as uh, Tammy Lynn Sitch. So apparently you guys had worked out some sort of deal where she could work other places, just not use the name Sonny, or do anything that would cause confusion as to present herself as Sonny. Um, and so she was working full-time for ECW and helping promote shows and do first-day ticket sales and um, all this stuff. And, of course, when you ask her, she says that's not the case. And in her book... She says she helped produce the first ever ECW pay-per-view, Barely Legal, and she was the one who handled the time cues to make sure that the show finished uh, with their allotted satellite time. And that right after, uh, she he, she was invited to have dinner with Chris and Paul Heyman, where they offered her a job to help produce pay-per-view, managing the triple threat, and promoting her merchandise at a much bigger percentage than what she was getting from Vince. And instead of the $100,000 contract that Vince was uh, giving her, she was going to make one twenty with ECW. Uh, and so she went on the next ECW pay-per-view and said, ECW is my new home. And her narrative is Vince saw this pay-per-view and the next morning she had a fax saying she was released. You were there. Poke holes in what really happened. Well, you, you listen to the first part of that when you talk about, okay, she shows up late. She says car accident. There's no uh, physical damage to her. We didn't get calls before she right. shows up six hours late. She shows up incoherent. She's missing shots. She's not answering calls. To anybody out there that is a manager in a business or a business owner, what would you do if you had an employee sure. that shows up six hours late, that doesn't call you to let you know that they're in a car accident, doesn't return any of your phone calls, shows up incoherent, stops showing up for work? What would you do? You'd fire them. That's what happened. I mean, it's that simple. Um, she'd make all the excuses that she wants and blame other people, but... The simple fact of the matter is, is that she was acting in an unprofessional way and she wasn't doing what she was asked to do. She can blame Sable for being more popular than her and selling more shirts and selling more posters and everything else. The simple fact is, is she ceased being professional. Right. And it's like, okay, next. So this is a weird thing, uh, but I got to ask the rumor is that the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was that she lied to Linda McMahon about missing dates. Apparently they had a conversation about it. And this is when Linda obviously had a much more active role. Allegedly, uh, Tammy says that she miscarried a child. And when Linda, I guess, you know, feels for her, but the company asked for a doctor's excuse, fearing that this was just another excuse like the many we just listed, when Tammy couldn't provide one, she was called in for this face-to-face -face meeting. Did you ever hear about any sort of miscarriage conversation with Linda? It feels I, weird to even talk about. Yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, that rumor's everywhere. Okay, but I, again. I, this is the first time you've heard it. That's the first time, well, when you told me. Yeah. You asked me about it the other day when you came across it and were like, oh, my God. Well, um, I, I'd heard it before, but when I was compiling my notes here, I just believed that that was the case. Yeah, but I believe that, I do believe that 
that happened to be okay, and I can see Linda saying, you know, That's being enough. extremely compassionate, but I can sure. also see her being very compassionate. And but with her history, her being Tammy's it history, it in the question. it's like, okay, oh my God, well, let us help you. What doctor did you see? What happened? And can you bring in, you know, all that information? And we'll help you. And when nothing is produced, you become suspect at best. Um, so let's run through kind of the end of her wrestling stuff and then we'll circle back for a couple of quick hits and we'll wrap it up. Couple of quickies. Couple of quickies. Um, it wasn't too long into her ECW run and these money problems we've all heard about with ECW start to affect her. She says it's great at first and she even let Paul use her American Express to book these companies travel, um, which totaled around 30,000 each month for airfare alone. And then they would issue a reimbursement check and things were fine. Then she says the check started coming later and later. We've all heard that before. Uh, eventually, she says Paul suspended her and Chris without pay for their pill problems, which she still denies uh, even at this time. And uh, the company allegedly ran up an American Express bill for more than $175,000. And when she tries to uh, earn a living... Kevin Nash calls from WCW and asks about bringing them in. And for four weeks in a row, they try to put something together for them to appear on Nitro. Uh, and eventually, she says the only way Paul would let them out of their contract is if they would assume all responsibility for that $175,000 American Express bill. So the choices were either to accept that bill and get back to work earning a living or sit at home drawing no income whatsoever. They accepted the deal and ultimately wound up selling their house to settle with American Express. Had you heard this story before? No, but it sounds like bullshit to me. I'm sorry. It's just, if somebody used your credit card and they continue to use your, okay, she said $30,000 a month on average, Mm -hmm. and they continue to do it. First of all, you can put a stop payment on the, you can stop the credit card, and you can do an investigation with American Express and say someone is using my card without my authorization. But for you to allow it to get to $175,000, you're in the loop. You're in the loop, and that's on you. You, may, you might so, not be in the loop on thirty grand of it. Like, maybe they get away with a month. Maybe they get before. away with a month. Yeah. Maybe they say they're going to pay next month, but you let them get away with the next month. Yeah. Beyond that, this it's is, on you. This is Herbert and, and Paul. It's Herbert and Paul. And, and then on top of that, to say that, well, we just had to accept it, and that Paul says, well, accept the whatever the money is, I don't see it happening either. And I think it's just, this is convenient because they had money problems in ECW. And this feels like something they can just tag on him to me. Right. Um, real quick, let's talk about it because we're going to get questions about it on the October 8th TNN show for ECW. Uh, this is in 1999. Uh, they built a two part interview with Tammy Sitch and they promised an interview that would rip the lid off of wrestling regarding the treatment of women. But instead, of course, they just show her in bikini shots and do an interview with her with her blouse unbuttoned. Uh, they talk about her problems with pills and booze, specifically discussing these famous somas, uh, the death of Louis Piccoli, and being suicidal after uh, after the death of her niece. And they're really milking this, like all wrestling interviews like this, trying to get close-ups of her crying and stuff like that. Uh, even here, though, she's trying to make it like she's on good terms with the WWF and that the release was on good terms Uh, But she promises to change the industry now that she's back on the right track. And Joey Styles is pushing that all of this is behind her now. Uh, So the next week she was on TV getting her bare ass spanked with a paddle. Uh, Later that month on the 23rd, 
she's found passed out backstage at ECW uh, at the arena and blames it on accidentally drinking someone's soft drink that had been spiked with GHB. So just hypothetically, if you found yourself in October backstage at an ECW show and you see an open soda can, would you have a swing of that? No. A, it's backstage at ECW. B, there might be cigarette butts in there. And C, it's open. It's And I, you didn't open that's it. That's your open one right there, and yeah. I wouldn't drink from it. Right. So this is bullshit. Um, anyway, just wanted to kind of put a bow on that one. Her run from ECW was July of 98 to December of 99. Uh, so, of course, in December, there's lots of stories that WCW wants to sign them, but all these rumors... Uh, that kind of surround her increase, keep them from making a deal until March. And then Tammy followed in April when they get to WCW Russo's in charge. Candido, of course, had always dreamed of working with flair growing up a lifelong wrestling fan. Uh, but not long after they're there, a vial of new Bane is discovered in the locker room and Bischoff asked to see Tammy. He drug tests her and sends her home. She blames Kimberly for this. And Scott Steiner throws a temper tantrum, uh, to the point where Kimberly quits the business for good. Three weeks go by, Tammy never hears the result, eventually storms into Eric's office demanding the results, and he casually mentions they came in a week ago and they were negative. Uh, she does not spend very long in WCW. Uh, in late 2000, she's hospitalized with pancreatitis and drinking like a gallon of scotch per day. In 2003, her and Chris moved to Puerto Rico for $800 a week, and that eventually dwindles to $200 a week. Uh, finally, they're evicted and living rent-free before she gets frustrated and just comes home and takes a job at a tanning salon. Her weight balloons up to 187 pounds, and she says she's miserable just living in sweatpants, but blamed all this weight gain on the issues with her pancreas and lack of insulin production. Chris died in April of 2005 with pneumonia and a blood clot. It formed in his ankle after a terrible ankle break on a TNA pay-per-view where he was managing the Naturals. Uh, after surgery, this clot dislodged and traveled to his heart. Uh, Tammy blamed him flying two days after surgery as the high altitudes can cause this clot to accelerate through your system. Uh, more TNA stuff here. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but she says his final check from the pay-per-view was supposed to be $1,500. And she claimed that cockadoodle doo Terry Taylor, uh, wouldn't change the check to her name or replace the check after Chris died. So even though they shared a, a joint bank account, the bank needed Chris to endorse the check. And of course that wasn't possible. Had you heard about this before? No. She wrote this in her book. She says, if you think about it, Chris lost his life for free. His final match where he broke his ankle, which was the root of the cause of his death was literally for nothing. I hated the company after that point, a company I had raved about and put over left and right as the greatest thing on TV had screwed me. And essentially Chris as well. I couldn't believe the gall of these people, but they did send me something during the days of the funeral. A ham. They sent me a ham. A quote unquote condolences ham. From the home delivery store, Heavenly Hams. Yep, they couldn't send me his last paycheck, but hey, I got a ham. I should be more than pleased and grateful for their thoughtfulness. Maybe if I sliced the ham and sent pieces and envelopes to the credit card companies, they would have accepted that as payment. I could have included a post it note saying, I'm so sorry I can't send you a check, but please accept this slice of ham as payment for March. That would have worked, right? After all, the TNA office sure as, hell felt, sure as hell thought that sending me a ham would make up for my grief and loss. Oh, I just lost my husband and best friend, but fuck, I got me a ham. 
Needless to say, I threw the ham out. I don't buy that she threw it away. I can't fathom how insensitive they could be. What? Even after, at the funeral, Dixie Carter pulled me aside and said, if there is anything you need for me or that I can do for you, just call me. Or where the fuck is his last $1,500, bitch? I guess you can say I'm a little bitter, just a little bit. That's what she wrote about this. Have you heard about this condolences, Ham? No, just now. Anything you want to say or contribute? You know, I. it's sad for somebody that had the love of the business that Chris Candido had. I'll, I'll comment on Chris because all Chris ever wanted to do his Let's whole life was be a wrestler, man. That's He's all he great. wanted to do. And he lived it. He loved it. He had some really tough, shitty times in the business. But he persevered, and he busted his ass to do whatever it took, whether it was in front of 20,000 people or 20 people. He gave the same effort and busted his ass every single night. And in my opinion, he deserved more. Uh, let's talk about Chris. overall, let's talk about Chris for a minute. When he, uh, quits the WWF, we've mentioned this in a prior show, but we've got some details here. Uh, I'm going to read you Meltzer's account. I'm going to read you Sonny's account. And then I want yours. Uh, Candido quit at the TV tapings because they didn't have a role for him and wanted to teach him, wanted him to stay on, uh, to teach Brockus, uh, Henry and Johnson. But he felt that at 24, it was too young for him to be out of the ring and teaching talent. So he quit to go to ECW. Candido apparently is also living over heat with Shawn Michaels, who apparently would get upset at him using hot moves in prelim matches on house shows, moves that he thought were his domain. So that is um, Meltzer's account. Here's Sonny's account. Chris quit the company in, in 1997. He was miserable on the road. He felt like he wasn't working to his strengths and he wasn't getting the push he deserved. In a fit of anger, he decided to walk up to Vince at a TV taping and tell him he wanted to leave the company. Quote, well, Skip, you need to do that in writing, end quote, Vince replied and walked away from him. Chris being the hothead that he could be, he became even more furious. He walked up to Jim Cornette, who was now working for the company, and ripped a sheet of paper out of Jim's notebook and wrote to Vince, I quit, Chris Candido. Yep, that's what he had the balls to write. So Chris was off the road, and about this time I started working in the studios on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays hosting the TV shows, and Chris helped out Dr. Tom in the training school studio warehouse teaching a group of new guys who were in developmental contracts. And then, of course, he uh, debuts in the ECW arena, uh, beating um, Spike Dudley. It's a big ovation, lots of sunny chance, lots of skip his dead chance. And he had a pretty decent run in ECW until they're both released and then go to WCW. And then what we just ran through, what really happened with his release from, or his quitting the WWF? Does any of that ring a bell to you? Well, the simple fact that Chris was upset and frustrated and wanted to quit, that did happen. And he, you don't go up to Vince at a television taping and say, I, I want to quit. Cause he'll just say, okay. <laughs> and move on because he's busy he's busy and at that point okay you want to quit you're going to come and bother me on a television day to, to bitch and moan and tell me you quit then okay great goodbye good riddance and i don't know about uh, him writing on a piece of paper i don't know if that happened or if it didn't happen uh, but i do remember him being frustrated and upset the training situation was something that 
we were going to do the the training in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, we had Mark Henry, right? We had Brockus. Those were the first two. Um, Tom was, you know, we talked about a lot of different people, and Tom was one of those people that he's the one that eventually got it. And uh, you know, I may be a little bit prejudiced, but I think Tom's the best trainer ever in the business. I think he's he's one. Of, and there's a lot of great trainers, but mm-hmm. Tom just has this innate. Um, um, patience with guys when, when he get he, in real life, he has no patience at all, but in the ring and in training, he has an ungodly patience and way of training people that is the best. I think it, overall for, I still have never seen anybody better than him. Um, people say, Oh, well, it's nepotism. That's your brother. No, it's, Ask him. It's definitely not it's nepotism. Definitely not nepotism. But but that's uh, I just feel that he, he's the best there is. So that was you know Chris would have been a great a great addition to that and be able to help and have a future in the business because he was a smaller guy. There wasn't you know the two hundred five and there wasn't the cruiser weights and the way there wasn't an NXT. Chris would have been a guy that would have excelled at NXT. Isn't it interesting to think, what if he would have taken that job, split up with Sonny, not been on the road? Oh, my God. I mean, just think about the timing here. Yeah. So that, if that would have happened in 97, Sean was gone in March of 98. She was gone not too much longer right. after that. He could have went right back on the road, been in his 20s. Yeah. And now all these distractions of Sean and Sonny and all the maybe click stuff he had to, to deal with, that's all in WCW by then. Man, it could have been his he, life could have been a lot different. Yeah, but he wanted to be a wrestler. He want that's he he loved and he wanted going to be out with there. Her. Yeah, it's fucking sad, man. Uh, April of '96, uh, we didn't cover it, so we should cover it. Uh, Meltzer writes: Lots of things uh, went on when you pack two dozen wrestlers and keep them together for a seven day tour, as you can imagine. Talking about a European tour here. Uh, he later says Sonny left the tour because she was ribbed to death, including someone taking a dump in her food at one point. Apparently, Chris Candido, who didn't leave early, was also being teased and harassed to death by the big boys who acted like schoolchildren. There was some sort of romantic triangle, which is nobody's business, except Sonny would have to leave the tour. It becomes business and not personal. Sonny had a lot of heat, so she isn't shy about giving her opinion on the business, where most won't say anything except behind people's backs. Uh, a few weeks later, he wrote, Her coming back from Europe a few days early was a company decision and not her decision. They were going to send two employees back a few days earlier to deliver tapes, and it was supposed to be a ref and a member of the ring crew. At the last minute, Lisa Wolf of Titan Human Resources switched it to the ref from the ref to Sonny, apparently because Wolf had already heard of the problems in Europe and wanted Sonny out of the situation because the WWF is incredibly overcareful about subjects like sexual harassment. I've also been told the term romantic triangle was not an accurate description of her situation. But she and Skip were heavily rode and ribbed on the tour by the click. Yeah, that's the word. I mean, that's that's what I heard. I mean, it's uh, the ribbing was out of hand. It was bad, and they're fucking with we him get, about oh, her. Oh, fucking with him about her. Fucking with her. Um, this it, is all sex related, right? No, it's just mean harassment. I okay. mean, it, it's it's bullying. I guess would be the best way really to describe it, and. The decision was made to to remove 
the object of, of the majority of the bullying and the object, you know, the, the subject that was causing all this commotion. And that was her on every side. She was getting it. They were, that's who they were giving it to. And it, and it was just, um, it was a bad situation. So somebody had to be removed from that. And does it become a situation where it's just CYA? Hey, she's the female, and if she's getting harassed, she may sue, so let's bring her home. But Candido's getting harassed, too, but hey, he's a dude. He's not going to sue. Fuck him. Well, he also he also wasn't uh, bitching and moaning and complaining. Oh, okay. She was people. making a She was. She was, she was making a... He was just taking his lumps. Yes. I got it. You know, Chris wasn't bitching about it, and Chris was, was taking his lumps and, and privately going through it. Who took a dump uh, of her food? I have no idea. Uh, who were the rumors that took a dump of her food? I don't know. Probably a lot of lot of possible candidates. I don't know who took a dump in her food. Any other situations with uh, people taking dumps in her bags? In her bags? Yeah. I think there were a few incidences where she might have had a shitty outcome there. Who would have done this? I don't know. No. I have never seen another human being shit in anyone's food bags in any in anywhere other than a toilet right. where they're where they're. Are you uh, going to be at the Conradison all weekend? <laughs> <laughs> let's work that out that's okay um can you like shit on command no but I mean, I'll, I'll squeeze something out for you so what one two three kid sean waltman is the guy who has a reputation for taking the shit in people's bags if you believe the online rumors and innuendo have you heard those rumors? i've heard those rumors yeah i've never seen sean do that i mean sean said he's done it so i mean <laughs> but again you're asking me if i ever Saw someone shit in someone's bag or the no, I never have. Briefly, uh, June of '96, the Body Donnas get a new manager named Cloudy. This is after Sonny has turned against them, uh, so they're going to be a babyface team now. And they bring a guy out and dress him up as a girl. He's a longtime friend of Candido. He wrestled on the Indies as Jimmy Shoulders. He wears a wig and wears her old gear, and then chases Sonny around. This doesn't last very long. Uh, by July, he's already gone, and Meltzer writes. Before the match, the Body Donnas did an interview clumsily explaining why Cloudy wasn't there. They've dumped the character. It appears the WWF has gotten sensitive about the charges of too many transvestite slash lesbian slash pervert type characters. And the Cloudy deal clearly wasn't working out at all. No, you know, no. So what really happened? What really happened is, is Cloudy was being brought in to be a worker. Yeah. And when we got him in the ring to see him work, we brought him in as the manager. Right. Okay, and when we got him in, it, he just didn't have it, man. That's oh, jeez. You know, see again. That's where they they take something and they make something out of nothing. No, not at all. Jimmy Shoulders was brought in. And he was brought in to be a, eventually be a worker Who's as that? a way to introduce him. Whose idea was that? It was. It's like a guy dressed him up as a dress. Is that Pat Patterson's idea? No, it was Vince's idea. But it was one of those situations. I said that to be funny. It was dude. one of those situations where, you like how I got that in? Yeah. It's uh, one of those deals where. One of those deals where. One of those situations. Interchangeable, folks. Candido introduced him, and Candido had an ideas or something that we could do with him as our manager to combat Sonny. And... All right. So like, okay. Another quick hit here. Shotgun Saturday night. Sonny was always a big part of it uh, from the first episode on down through. <laughs> There we go. That's what I want to talk about. Fondle me Elmo. Fondle me Elmo. This is December of 96. The hottest toy on the market by a fucking mile is Tickle Me Elmo. People are losing their minds. 
this maybe doesn't make sense to younger people, but if you remember at the time, this tickled me Elmo doll and the hysteria around it and the scarcity of it. We're selling for $5,000. This is a $10 toy, yes. maybe $15 toy. People were losing their mind yes. about. And somehow you guys managed to get a full size Elmo costume and are going to do Sonny naked on Shotgun Saturday night under the covers with Sonny. Check it out. So she's going to be there and people are, they're promoting that there's a sex tape now. This is also coming out around the same time that Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee have the world's biggest selling porno ever. So, hey, we can combine two things here. We can take our hot new starlet and push her in this Pam Anderson sex tape kind of role. And we can take this whole craze and hysteria about Tickle Me Elmo and put them together. And the rumors are it's Todd Pettengill. No, it was Todd Pettengill. Not a rumor. It was Todd Pettengill. Whose idea is this? Were you shooting this? Were you there? God, thank God I wasn't there. That was a Vince McMahon production. Why would you say, thank God you weren't there for this, but you were there for Katie Vick? <laughs> I don't know. No, it was, this was one of those, uh, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. Kind of like, you know, Dr. Heine. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was awful. But it was Todd Pettengill in a giant Tickle Me Elmo suit. And the idea came up when Todd told us he had a Tickle, you know, he had an Elmo suit, not a Tickle Me Elmo, but he had an Elmo suit. He had one or he yes. had access to it? I don't know if he could have, but he, he, maybe that he had access to it. I don't know, but he could get for a tickle me out. For the purposes of my story, for purposes of this this story, is he like, hey, it. I've got a tickle me Elmo suit. Uh, Todd, if you're listening, hey man, hats off to you. It was great. Um, what a talented motherfucker he was too. I'm no, saying that as seriously. No he, doubt, he could do anything. He, did he could everything. do everything. He did everything. He could sing. He could dance. He could. He was great. You give him something, he would look at it. Got it. And had that classic. You know, FM DJ voice. Oh, shit. absolutely. He was, he was tremendous. Um, but yeah, I was Tickle Me Elmo, and yeah, it was horrible. Some more quick hits. Uh, Sonny starts dating a guy in uh, 2006, and that guy helps her get back in shape down to 133 pounds. You guys bring her back in December of 07 for the 15th anniversary of Raw, and she looked great. Uh, was there any talk in at that point of trying to do something else with her, or was it so fresh? Her last run and those memories so vivid, you're like, eh. Or she's just older and we don't want it now. Or she was older and it was it was simply strictly 15th anniversary. That was it. Got it. Well, th- who makes the call on that? You make the call on that. Well, Vince ultimately made the call. On yeah, it, I, I mean, we, but we went up the we phone. went back. Um, no, it might have been you know probably Johnny Ace at that okay. time. She goes to the Hall of Fame in 2011. Um, some cool little quick hits from her book here. Uh, she wrote in her book that Yokozuna was so fat he couldn't wash his own hair and it smelled like shit and sewage. I need you to shit on this for me. How can you possibly be so fat you can't wash your own hair? Did you hear that Yokozuna's hair smelled like shit and sewage? No, and Fuji, I mean, Fuji would wash his back and things like that in the shower. Well, she says that Fuji ribbed her by having her braid his hair and it smelled like shit because he didn't, he wasn't able to wash it. Which to me is ridiculous. How are you so fat? That's not true. That's That's not true. No. Okay. Uh, She claims to have. Maybe he didn't wash it, but he he could. He couldn't wash his backside and Fuji would do that in the shower. We're going to talk about that another time. Well, no, I mean, it was, he was, he was a very large man. Well, a lot of people can't wash their back. You're saying he couldn't wash his asshole. No. God damn. We're going to talk about this another time. 
Uh, she claims to have created the name Triple H. <laughs> she says she saw him standing next to Jeff Jarrett, and she says, oh, look, Double J and Triple H. And she gives herself credit in the book for naming Triple H. Okay. You know, I don't know. You know, no, I've never heard that. Oh, it's, it's legit, kids. Write that down. I, uh, we always got Triple H from from Sean, so maybe she maybe Sean heard it from her. I don't know. She insinuates a sexual relationship happened with Sable and Ken Shamrock in her book. Have you read this or heard this? No. Okay. Uh, she also says that Sable and Kimberly were both strippers at the Gold Club in Atlanta. You ever hear that? No. We're on a roll. Uh, <laughs> I'm no, no, sorry. I, no, no. Here's the thing. I think they're all bullshit, which is why I'm yeah. mentioning it to you. Uh, do you have any fun Paul Bear stories with her? Paul Bear has been on oh, record God. as not liking her. Paul hated her. Paul absolutely, yeah. Paul, Paul hated Tammy. Give me and, a good one. Well, they got into a physical confrontation uh, at a TV one time and got into a. Uh, I like to call it a, a pinch fight. A pinch fight. <laughs> well, it's kind of like you know, like two little kids slapping at each other, and you know, Paul didn't want to hit her, but he didn't want her hitting him, and. Uh, People got involved and got her the hell out of there. But uh, the the funniest thing was we had to bring Paul and Tammy into a meeting. It was uh, me and Vince and Paul and Tammy. And just like, guys, this isn't kindergarten here. We can't have, you know, uh, men and women fighting right. in the locker rooms. And, and you guys need to get over your issues. And, and it was kind of like. Two five-year-olds. Well, he said this about me. It's like, well, she, and it it was a very serious situation, yet comical at the same time. Right. And at the at the end of it, they they stood up and they apologized and to each other and they shook hands. And Tammy's real name is Sitch. Her working name was Tammy Fitch. Right. Well, Paul, Paul gets up at the, at the end of it. He goes and holds his hand out after they've done their apologies and they go to shake hands and he, and they shake hands and Paul goes, Miss Fitch. And it was, I'm doing everything I can while I'm sitting in there, you know, basically refereeing this meeting with Vince and and trying not to laugh. Sure. And then we had, that's where uh, we go outside and Candido was all worked up, wanting to beat Paul Bear up, and, and he's threatening everybody. And Paul, of course, is a very popular guy in the locker room, and you would be very hard-pressed to find anybody to say a bad word about Paul Bear, except probably Tammy. And everybody loves Pooh. And, you know, Chris is now threatening to beat him up, so that's not a good thing, because guys are like, oh, yeah? You come near Paul Bear, we'll kill you. Um uh, so Jerry Briscoe and I are in the hallway and Chris is all bowed up, wants to do something. And Jerry goes to, is like, come on, Chris, it's, it's time to go. You got to go. And so Jerry and I go to basically escort Chris out. It's right. Like, you know, Tammy's going, you guys are leaving now and I get the fuck out type thing. And Jerry grabs Chris by the elbow and is escorting him out. Now, if you know Jerry Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe is an old hooker from way back, and Jerry is a legit badass at 70-plus years old. I still wouldn't fuck with Jerry Briscoe. And 
Jerry's walking, and, and Chris, like, goes, God damn, Jerry, what are you trying to do? Hook me or something? And Jerry just kind of chuckles, and his Jerry Briscoe away and says, Chris, if I wanted to hook you, you'd be hooked. <laughs> I'm just like going, oh, my God. I'm going from refereeing, you know, a 300-pound man in a black suit and a white face and shit underneath his eyes and a, a immature little girl to... Now trying to keep, uh, at the time, Jerry, 50-year-old man who's scary badass and this kid that's about to get his ass whooped by a 50-year-old man with no knees. And I'm going, gee, it just, the range of, of shit I would go through in a, in a one-hour period sometimes, people, they, they people wouldn't believe. They paid you for that. And they paid me for this, yes. Yeah. So, but Chris, if I wanted to hook you, you'd be hooked. Just, there's... No discussion. Let's put a uh, you know. Let's put a bow on the end of this. Uh, in 2001, she did Wrestling Vixens, the porno website with Missy Hyatt. Do you remember this? Do I remember it? No. You, you never heard of this? No, I'm sorry. Uh... Stop reading your goddamn phone and start participating in the fucking podcast. Do you remember the rest? I remember Vixens? it. I don't think I ever saw it. No. Well, nobody else did either. It's just amazing to me. This comes five years after the Playboy offers her hundreds of thousands. Oh yeah, of and then she's she's, doing she's naked nude. for a couple hundred bucks. Probably. Well, isn't she doing? Isn't she doing well, some other we're thing? Get okay, there. I'm sorry. In 2012, uh, Sitch was arrested five times in a four-week span for disorderly conduct, third-degree burglary, three counts of violating a protective order. She was arrested a sixth time in January 2013. Uh, also for violating a protective order. She served 114 days in jail and was released in May of 2013. While in jail, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer and underwent a hysterectomy and was later diagnosed as cancer-free. She blamed the cervical cancer on HPV. You familiar with that? I'm familiar with what HPV is, yes. Well, what Sonny wants, Sonny gets. I don't know that she wanted HPV, but she got it. Um. In 2015, she taped an adult film for Vivid Video. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, folks, we don't mean to laugh. It's well, she put it in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first times Bruce and I hung out here in Huntsville. <laughs> uh, I think it was late last year. It's he's, something you can't unsee, folks. <laughs> we were drinking in my bar downstairs, and he said, Hey, man, have you seen, have you heard about it? And I'm like, Yeah. And he said, Have you seen it? And I said, No, but we can get it. And he says, See, what? We ordered it, and it was here in a couple of days. I'm like, No, I think we can. Like click oh, a bullshit. You, right uh, you like, well, here it is. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, you can just do oh, it right God on your damn. phone and then Apple stream <gasps> and the message boards. Shout out to my boys over at the wrestling observer message boards. Some dude did a phenomenal play by play and had a timestamp and we'll tweet it if you're interested, but, uh, she gets very excited. <laughs> Hey, Steve Hirsch, if you if you all of a sudden get a big surge in downloads for this, I want some points on it, man. Yeah, so there's Steve Hirsch is a hell of a guy. He's the owner of Vivid. Brother Love and I watched it together. Oh man. We did we did not watch the whole thing. No, we watched We watched all of about we watched about thirty seconds of it and I couldn't take any more. But what happened in the thirty seconds? 
That's fucking awesome, dude. Oh, my God. Dude, I've tried to block that from my mind. <laughs> Go ahead. You tell them. We just did. Oh, man. She pooted and then didn't put it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's hilarious. Oh, In God. January 2016, she pled guilty to uh, driving... Under suspension and then DUI-related <laughs> charges stemming from three separate arrests in May and June of 2015. A judge sentenced her to 90 days in jail. And on August 18th, um, well, that's what happened. So uh, she should be out sometime. I'm sure she'll be fucking burying us on Twitter. Uh, but you should check out her book. I got all of my research from there. Uh, it is available now on Amazon. It's called A Star Shattered, The Rise and fall of a wrestling diva. Uh, and it's by Tammy, quote unquote, Sonny Sitch. And to be it, clear, we don't mean to bury her. This is all stuff that she wrote and it's things that happened. And I read, hope she gets her life together. To be fair, I want to state clearly for the record, I was the world's biggest Sonny fan. She was the bee's knees uh, for me as, a, as an adolescent from 96 to 99. And uh, then I kind of didn't watch wrestling as much anymore, but roll tide. But. Uh, hey, if you want to see Sunny at her peak, to me, go watch that free for all from SummerSlam '96 with the little bikini deal. Oof, hard to beat, my friend. Uh, now here's another peek behind the curtain. Uh, Bruce, you and I don't always tape in person like we are here today. How do we normally tape the show? By Skype. Well, speaking of Skype, here's what everybody wants to talk about from her book. I was getting Q and A calls for about six months, completely innocent chats until one night when out of nowhere, a male fan decided to whip it out. Yes. He took out his male reproductive organ. Oh my God. I thought, what in the world is going on? He pretty much just wanted me to look at it and masturbate right there on camera. He whipped it out and started whacking off. OMG. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then a light bulb lit up over me, over my shocked and little confused head. If these guys wanted to look at me and relieve themselves, I can wear a little less and charge a little more. Hell, I can wear a lot less and charge a lot more. So what began as a simply, you know, Q&A session, fully clothed with a fan, turned into an all-out sexual skin-revealing wank fest for a lot more money. Ha ha, some guys will do anything. I do joke about it, but honestly, I appreciate every single one of my customers, and I see nothing wrong with that. Uh, with what they do or I do. And she's always been a sexual person, a bit of an exhibitionist and a voyeur. And this is another way for her to explore her sexuality. Uh, so now here's where we go. After two and a half years of Skyping and building up my business, it has become as large as it is today. And I have almost 50 returning customers from all over the world, the U S Canada, England, Ireland, Scotland, Germany, Portugal, India, Japan, Australia, and even Iraq. I won't discuss how much money I make by Skyping, but I will say I make more than double what I made with the WWE when I was on the road full time. Plus I had road expenses. Then now I work out of my home. My bedroom is my office and my bed is my desk. What could be better? I am my own boss, make my own hours, enjoy what I do and have the best and easiest job in the world. What could possibly top this? So when Sonny's out of jail, she will be available for Skype sessions again she will pee on camera for you. <laughs> That's out there too. Uh, she's proud of this. It's not anything to be ashamed of. She's excited about it. She's happy and, and doing well and making money. So good for her. Uh, I'm happy for her. Uh, what will her legacy in the business be? Will it be jerking off on webcams and Putin and porns or, you know, I would hope, I would hope that people would choose to, uh, reflect on, 
when she first came in and she was that, you know, most downloaded on pinup on AOL and that cute little 23 year old girl that, uh, had uncanny charisma. That's what I would hope people would remember. Unfortunately, uh, people will dwell on the negative and probably that will be in the forefront of their memory. Do you, um, I know you want me. Does that play in the background when she's doing this? Do you think she's a good person? (sighs) I think everybody is a good person. I really want to believe that. I was such a fan of her. I really want to believe that. But man, reading some of this stuff in the book, it's really hard to wrap my head around how it's okay. It is. And that's, you know, I guess in in reading a lot of that, hearing a lot of it, because I haven't read her book. And let's be clear, too. That's not. What someone else said. That's her. That's her account. Her blessing and her, you know, she, and for her she to put that, that out about Sean and, and, and Chris. And there's so much stuff there where I'm just like, yeah, I don't ah, think she is a good person. That's disappointing. I, 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 I truly her. want to believe that everybody's a good person deep down. I really do. Some that's people tough. aren't. That, yeah, like, you know, like the asshole that, that, that uh, poisoned dogs this week. I want to kill them. I think that's a bad person. I think. She may be in in a category of being a bad person. Well, I, I I was a huge fan of hers, and I hope when you know she you know comes out of the facility that man she hits the reset button on life, and that we get to have a new chapter, and I we, hope so. we get to have a, another discussion about the re rise, the rebirth of because I'd really like for her to get her just due. She did a lot of really cool stuff at the time, mm-hmm. and she was did. a big part of the wrestling industry. And it is kind of a sad and tragic tale the way it looks like it's going to end right now. And I hope she can, as Kevin Nash would say, pull the nose up. Right. And she she was a trailblazer. Yeah. And, and again, she was never she was never not nice to me. So it's listening I, to a lot of this stuff. It's like wow. It's to me, it's just more sad. And I really hope that she gets her shit together when she comes out. And and uh, but this can still be. A happy a success story. story. Yeah, yeah happy, Yes, could have a happy ending. It yeah. really can. It's up to her. You think about, you know, some of the times that, you know, we, we all know the guys in, in the business who've had real struggles, but man, they've turned it around and they're in such a good place now. And I hope that we can add her to the list. I'm pulling for her. Me too. He's on uh, Twitter at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. And we'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle With. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.